Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. Mike, how you doing? What are you drinking? As always, my friend, I'm doing just dandy, and I'm having some Irish coffee to keep myself warm during this cold season. How about you, Nick? How you doing, and what are you drinking? I'm doing great. I'm drinking some Rogue Yellow Snow beer. It's got a little picture of a dog and some yellow snow. We're going to talk about confidence in public school. We're going to talk about public schools in general, and we're going to talk about how public schools have failed us. Personally, my one of the, my biggest examples, and this is when I learned that the school system wasn't asking me what I thought. They were asking me, what did they think and how do I get the best answer? When I was in, I was a sophomore in high school and we were reading Lord of the Flies and we had to do a paper on symbology in Lord of the Flies. And I wrote that the conch was the symbol of power and my teacher gave me a C because she did not think that that was the symbol of power and that the symbol of power was actually something else. And I didn't get a C because I had bad grammar or because of my writing style. I simply got a C because I did not see the same symbology that she did. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but symbology is supposed to be unique to each person, isn't it? Weird how a piece of artwork might mean something different to different people. It's weird how that that might happen. (laughs) I I don't think that's how it's supposed to be, right? We're all supposed to see the same exact thing. Well, with our current public school system, absolutely. What about you, Mike? When did you realize that these these teachers didn't want a answer, they wanted their answer? Well, I would have to say also my sophomore year in high school in my my physics class. A woman was teaching about magnetism, in case you all don't know. I love magnets. I've always loved magnets, so I'm quite familiar with them. And she was trying to explain how ferric metals are magnetic and nothing else is. And of course, me being me, I go, well, that's not completely true. Everything's got magnetism, especially when you like super cool, like you could super cool a strawberry and float it on top of a magnet. And she did not like that answer one little bit. And next thing I know, on a pop quiz that we somehow got with magnetism, I put down the scientifically correct answers, still got an F and got a detention for it. And that's when I realized... Don't don't tell the truth. Smile and nod and you'll get A's. Yeah, and that's something that my parents had kind of told me about after that and other certain assignments I did when I put down what I thought was the right answer and I didn't get any points for it. My parents like, well, this is the answer they're looking for because they're probably like believe this politically or whatever, whatever the reason is. That's how they got educated. <laughs> yeah. And but we know, you know, you're you're just trying to get points. So you put down not the answer you believe is right, or maybe not the symbology you you actually see, but you put down the answer that's going to get you the most points. Because at the end of the day, you're just trying to get that piece of paper, and that's going to determine your future. It's the way it was explained to me when I was a kid. My parents said, is it really worth all the trouble and fighting to try and prove like your point? of something some like assignment that doesn't really matter just because you think it's right or is it easier just to kind of go along with you know what the teacher wants to get a good grade so that you can get into a good school or get a good job or whatever it is 
And so from after that, I kind of just learned, oh, okay. And it's not hard. Like, it's really not hard. Every single one of my friends has figured it out. Like, oh, this is the answer the teacher wants. So I'm going to put that, you know, it's not like you have to really work at it. You just almost have to stop thinking. I had a similar but different avenue with you, Nick. So I added the days I actually went to high school. I went to about two years of high school and still completed with A's and B's. I realized... It's just a machine to pump out people. I mean, hell, the history of schools are getting you ready for factory life. That's where that bell comes from, from moving one place to another. So that was about the same age as you, Nick, where I realized that, uh, yeah, school is just a game that you have to play to get a higher paycheck. I think it's also important to note, me and Nick actually went to high school together, so our educational system was the same. So it's not coming from two different schools, which I think is important to point out. And we did go to a good high school, too. Like, Oh, absolutely. A high school that people from other districts would want to get in, you know, won all the awards, did all the right things. And so I don't think this is a case of, uh, you know, a bad school system. And my, even my friends who live in more rural settings, whose schools maybe didn't have as much money coming in, this is something I hear from them just about how, you know, I don't know if, if it's this is how teachers are molded and made or just the way humans are. You know, we don't want to be told we're wrong about something, much less from some kid. To me, it sounds like a education system is almost like a bad copy, where it's just the same thing over and over again. The problem never got fixed. You just keep using the same thing over and over again. That's definition of insanity, even though I disagree with that definition, and I did an episode on it. You should go check it out on Backyard Philosophy, but it just seems to me where they're just turning out the same arithmetic, the same process to create teachers over and over again, and they're not adapting, they're not changing. We're using the same system from the 1800s before they even had cars for the modern 21st century. That just doesn't sit well with me, Nick. No, and it's, uh, you know, certain things are have changed I guess we've, since the 1800s, we've used a more progressive school system, progressive train of thought, which is kind of where I think things start to uh, slip away. Because by today's standards, we would regard all of us as well-educated people, right? You know, as long as you went to high school, you should everyone would say you're pretty well educated compared to a couple hundred years ago, dating back to like the founding father's time, we consider those people less educated. However, they were able to create a system of a country that ran for (laughs) since then 200 years. And what have we we done with that? I'd almost argue that we lost something that they had that we didn't. Those were thinkers. Those men knew how to think. They understood how humans worked, ways to live in a like have a country where with competing interests figure out what people would want in a way that we don't understand humans today so for all of our talk about being educated i almost feel like we're less educated nick it's almost like their education if they didn't adapt and learn they would starve to death or not make any money and their family would starve to death it's almost like you had to learn or you would lose the game and with our system i feel like we're just turning people out for the sake of turning people out I think that's definitely a part of it. Everyone kind of remembers when, like, uh, I forget what they call it, like, like no student left behind and stuff. When we were in school, Mike, standardized testing became even more of a focus so they can measure schools against other schools to figure out where money is allocated. But because of that, if you fall behind, right, they just give you just enough grades to keep you up so you don't damage the school's numbers. And so it really just became all about the numbers, So two things. One, I imagine because No Child Left Behind, a lot of students simply got false grades by teachers in the schools just to keep the kid moving forward, just so the school would get 
more money or something like that. But I actually want to talk about Sunrise Test Nick, if you don't mind, because now y'all might hate me for it, but I believe they should exist. I believe Sunrise Test should exist. In their current state and form, no. They need to adapt and change, especially with this current time. They heavily need remodeling. But standardized tests can help and show if the teachers are are adequately teaching students. I don't think... I think it is very common that students just get passed along by the school system just for money and such like that. But I think a standardized test should be done to judge the teachers, not the students. How good of a teacher you are. And yes, some the standardized tests already do that to a point, but... I, I disagree with standardized tests on how they're testing. So that multiple choice, the math, science, English, maybe what we test and how we test also needs to change. So I, I don't know if you agree with that, Nick, a fair assessment, because we're trying to figure out what the, te- what the students are learning, but we should also figure out if the teachers are any good. Oh, definitely. I definitely agree with that. You know, like I, I'm not opposed to standardized testing. What I was talking about is the fact that because of it, people stop focusing on the children as much, looking at them as a number, saying, oh, well, we can't have this kid fail. Like, we need to give him just enough points to keep going. So now, because he doesn't understand that one thing, we're marking him that he does. So he's just going to keep going. And everything that built upon that he was supposed to know, he doesn't know. So it's basically just doomed. Also, a very interesting point I came across when researching this with standardized, for standardized tests is... The average American student in 2016 would take 112 mandatory tests before graduating high school. And Nick, I don't know if you remember this for studying for ACT, SAT, college admission, all that stuff. The amount of time they spent studying for the standardized tests. Like they taking us out of classroom and learning just to practice and learn for standardized tests so the school does better. That's, that's a system that's not right to me. And we had after-school standardized testing practice, too, that the school did for the SATs, ACTs. Oh, yeah. I also I remember coming in on Saturday to do that. It, it, it doesn't seem right to me. I feel like a standardized test, you should be, okay, just one day in the year, you're going you're gonna to take this test and see if you actually know it. it the rest should be focused on the curriculum, not how to take the test, but simply, do you know it or not? Yeah, or, and another thing that kind of talked, I don't know if this is getting too off topic on standardization, of some people argue that we need a standardized curriculum for the country. And so because each state's different, it's difficult to compare states. And my argument is it should be tailored, right? Like just because this works in Washington, D.C. doesn't mean it's going to work in Idaho. Or just because it works in rural Washington doesn't mean it's going to work in King County, Washington, which is where Seattle is. It's not how this works it should be tailored to the area you know so if an area all the students there are well versed in history you don't need to teach them the very basics of history so i don't think standardizing the curriculum is the answer to that i don't know what if this kind of plays into your what you're talking about mike but to me the standardization of testing i can understand but of curriculum it doesn't make sense to me oh i completely agree with that i nick to be honest i would take it a step further i would say stand remove standardization not just for the region but for the classroom it education is more one-on-one because everyone learns different i mean i know for me when i say geometry i remember this in high school learning certain uh geometry formulas to i don't know for triangles circles or something like that and the next day i had to use it on my job site or something like that that stuck with me so much better when i learn it and then immediately implement it but with our education system they want it to be one for all one for all and all for one they want it to work for everybody but everybody's different nick i hate to tell you this but 
we're both snowflakes. We are very different, <laughs> and we uh, we do uh, different things, and we learn different ways. So I completely agree with not standardizing the curriculum for schools. I also think it might be a bit extremist, but I think it's important to not standardize for the regions for all the students in that region. So have different regions, have different education systems, and have each classroom different education system based on what the student needs. But that might be crazy talk, Nick. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think a lot of teachers want that. And it seems like part of the issue is what's coming down from above and of what they can and cannot teach. And it's not something that the teachers are forcing on students. It's something that the politicians are forcing on students trying to make, you know, every no politician is against education, right? They all want to make the education system better. But very few of them actually, you know, they, they people just do what they're told, right? Like this is we need to standardize the education system. That sounds good. I mean, maybe not to you and me, but that's not, that doesn't sound malevolent. They don't want to ruffle feathers. Exactly. And then teachers are forced to teach whatever, you know, comes down from the top. And this has been pointed out multiple times, but I'm going to touch on it here. The school system is leans more to the left in, say, like New York, right? They don't use the same textbooks as, say, Texas, Mike, your state. In Texas, Texas gets a lot of crap because their textbooks, their history textbooks lean right. Good old Texas. Okay. Now, like in, uh, give you an example, in Texas, talking about the Industrial Revolution, you're more likely to, the textbooks are more likely to view like Carnegie, Rockefeller as captains of industry versus in New York, they're... Uh, Demonizing. Not captains of industry or, yeah, they're bad guys. What is it? Well, Nick, it sounds like you're telling me that there are two sides to every story. Huh. Weird. Uh, it's almost like uh, we couldn't have seen this one coming. Yeah, it's 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 just weird to me how we don't we want everyone to think exactly the same, and I don't like that. When we think differently and learn differently, there is one good thing about our standardization for currently in our school system that I like is it's very common for school systems to force teachers to teach students one formula to do one way to solve a problem one way and the next day do it a different way to solve the same problem. There are lots of scientific articles that support that that actually helps us memorize and be more critical thinkers. So there are some benefits we can take from that, but we need to upgrade the entire system. The, this, the house is rotten. We need to redo the foundation, the roofing, the shingles. We need to do everything. Yeah, and this might be you know, a little off topic, but kind of what I was talking about with the schools teaching us about history, most people who leave school c come away with certain point of view, which I, I personally think is damaging. Mike, you'll let, you'll let me know what you think. Many of the themes taught around school imply that man cannot be left unchecked and government must step in to regulate. I agree. I think, again, I think we're still stuck in 1800 ways with schools teaching us how to work at factories, to not question authority, to not, to just be sheep and cogs in the machine. I, Nick, we both had that same experience in high school of like, oh, we are right, but we just have to put our heads down and do what they want just so we don't have to fight every single day for our point. And this wasn't just a high school thing, right? Like this happened to us before high school, but it finally clicked in high school. And it, for me, I'm sure, Mike, it continued on into college. Oh, yes. So we both went to college. I think this is important to point out. Uh, I went for mechanical engineering. And Nick, where, what did you go to college for? Uh, forest resources. Forestry. So trees. <laughs> trees, yep. Trees, fire, and, and uh, geographical information systems. 
And I'll be honest, I want to first start from the ground up with elementary schools and then eventually get to colleges. But the amount of times at university where I realized, oh, I have to take this core curriculum. I'm forced to take it. I'll never use it again. Oh, I am right with my point, but I still have to do it their way to even get a good grade. Like, example, art class. No matter what you paint, it should be an automatic A because art, um, because art is in the eye of the beholder. So who are you to tell me my art's good or not? That makes no sense. But, you know, being in engineering and forced to take a painting class, that makes also complete sense. And Nick, I can't imagine with forestry if you having to take some BS class like that, too. Yeah, and this is uh this this is drives me insane through college how the bullshit we have to take right like i'm going to school for forestry i want to learn about trees i know how to grow trees and i don't understand how taking introduction to native american culture is going to help me do that that was a bullshit class taught by some white woman it's like what's what's the fucking point and other classes other bullshit classes i had to take dance 101 so you don't want to dance with the wind, <laughs> Nick? The best part about Dance 101 is, so this is where they get you, right? They have all these bullshit, like, humanities. You need, like, liberal arts, humanities, all this stuff. Certain classes would knock out two, maybe three of those requirements. So I took Dance 101 because it knocked out humanities and liberal arts or whatever. So I'd only have to take one class instead of two classes. But I had to fucking dance. I'm not a I don't enjoy dancing in, in that manner, especially interpretive dancing. But you have all the kids in that class who were like, I'm just doing this so I can graduate. Specifically, all the, the agriculture kids. They're very easy to pick out. They're the ones wearing flannel or camouflage, have a hat, and wearing cowboy boots. So you, it's pretty easy to tell who your friends are because in a dance 101 class, there's a lot of different people there. Nick, please tell me there's a video of you doing interpretive dance somewhere. Please tell me that exists. I'm sure if you go in the security footage, you could find it, but but it's ridiculous because that added nothing. Right, I have a new project to my education. <laughs> that added nothing to my education, and in fact, only made me more upset about it. And as you know, Mike, I like to talk about philosophy, and I read a few different books on philosophy, and I enjoy the subject. I failed out of a philosophy class in college. How? Well, the th this is the part that I didn't understand because I didn't read the syllabus. So the class was Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But the tests are online on Thursday from 11 to 11.30. I thought they were just online on Thursday. So at like 5 o'clock or whatever, like Thursday, I was going to do go take my test, but I couldn't get in. Because I missed one of five tests, the best I could do was a C-. minus. So I could work my ass off for a C-, minus, or I could just withdraw and not negatively affect my GPA since at the end of the day it was all about getting a good GPA to get a job I withdrew yes but I think we're too focused on college first I want to I want to start from the ground up with elementary school and work from there are you okay with that and yeah, I do. And I, I do want to say that one of the things I came across is that our pre-kindergarten in the U.S. is more of a daycare. And in a lot of other countries, it's well, it's almost more another form of school where people do a lot of learning. And I think that that's something that if we wanted to start, you know, start the more getting more bang for your buck. We can start teaching kids metric system. What? No, we never get to the moon that way. It's going to, it's going to happen, Nick. We can start, we can start with the pre-K and, and uh, start teaching them the metric system. It's okay. We still use a symbol of measurement in forestry. That doesn't make any sense. So we, we use chains to measure stuff, which is 66 <laughs> feet. So your metric system doesn't scare me. That hurts my head. <laughs> 
But I'm, I'm very happy you brought up that point because actually that's where I was going to start. Majority of European and Asian countries have higher pre-K initiative for their education. Now, throughout this, we'll be mainly talking about the American education system, but Nick was right. They take schooling at a young age when you're three and four more seriously than we do. It's you're paying for a babysitter if you're doing pre-K in America. And you can, the brain's always learning. You can help teach social skills and help set the foundation to learn when you start getting into more and more education, which I think is really easy to do. One, it would allow parents to, yes, use it as a babysitter system, which unfortunately we already do, but at least the children will get an education out of it and help society in general and help themselves as individuals in general. And just to throw out here, the average elementary class size is about 22 students. I feel like, Nick, we need more teachers or some different way because one teacher watching 22 10-year-olds seems, seems like hell to me. Do they? Do you know if they had classroom aids at all? Uh, I did not have that information. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but no, I, I agree. That's a lot for a lot of people. I know every school system is different, but I know it's not uncommon for pre-K kind of stuff to have classroom aids and come in. And there's no way any person can be expected to watch 22 kids. Like that's just not uh, at, at that age. That's not something that's going to be realistic. So one thing actually that I really want to see with, especially with that class size at that young age, is take current university students who are going into education system and have that be like an internship to help them. Like So they get more, they get experience in the real world with teaching. They help out the teachers. So then you have two people teaching a classroom of 22. So it's 11 people per person, which seems a lot more manageable and a lot more one-on-one with teacher and student. It, that to me makes sense. Everyone, it's a win-win situation. Teacher gets less work. The student aid who's also going to school for education gets more education on actually real world experience and the kids get more one-on-one with the teachers now in some places this already happens but i would like to see that greatly improve and that unfortunately might be a problem for rural communities because there might not be a lot of universities where the schools are yeah, I know that's definitely like uh, the student teaching is an important part. A lot of my friends were ag, or when I was in school, going to become ag teachers, and they did they teach somewhere while they were still in school as part of their curriculum. So I don't know what the percentage is for teachers who go and do. Or I know they need to do that, do you know, pre-teaching credits, but I don't know how many of them need to do like go into that like pre-K stuff. I guess if that's where you wanted to go. Another thing that I don't know if this is where we need to bring it up, but for teaching pre-K. I don't really know why you need a four-year degree. Yeah, completely agree. I I think depending on your educational level that you're working on, it should vary on the education that you have. I don't really see the point of like second grade teachers having a four-year degree. I think associates or training or just proving that you can do some course, probably, probably associates would make more sense. But why put a person in more college debt for something they're not going to fully use? I, or be able to repay. Yeah. Well, mm, uh, teachers cry poor, but that might piss some people off, but you know, whatever. So about the average price, uh, the average salary for the U.S. teacher is about $57,000, which is pretty good in my book, I would say, Nick. That's that's for sure. Yeah. And keep in mind, $58,000, $59,000 for nine months of the year. Okay. Now I understand some teachers work year round and now there are ways to 
substitute that earning. In Idaho, I worked for an auction company. And during the school year, the guy was a teacher. But when he wasn't working, he ran an auction company to auction off old goods and yada yada. And that's how he'd make more money. I know other teachers who turns out uh, the summer perfectly lines up with fire season, which is why a lot of wildland firefighters are students. So in the three months they're not teaching, they'd fight wildfire. So if you want more money, you got three months of the year where you can earn more money. And I think another, uh, and for those thinking that the teachers actually make a lot less, if you take the outliers like New York City and Los Angeles out of the equation for teacher salaries, because they are different compared to the United States, the average teacher salary, if you take out all the outliers, which is quite a few, is still forty to $44,000, which is like, I know engineers who make less than that when they start off. So I feel like that's a very fair trade. And I can't stress this enough. That's not for working 12 months of the year. I feel like that's probably what I would make if I only got paid for nine out of 12 months. That, yeah, it seems like a fair assessment. And for those saying, well, teachers work more than nine to five. Well, yeah, you're, if you're salary base, you're, your job isn't nine to five. Your job is when the job's done. I work an average of 11 hours and 45 minutes a day, five to six days a week, and I get paid salary. And I not, no one works nine to five. Even if you work nine to five, there are things you have to do after your job. Like I, it's not that hard. And my buddy who's a teacher, an ag teacher, he's like, yeah, this is like a really easy job because he also does other stuff, right? Like that's not his only source of income it's not his only business he's got other stuff going on and he's had other jobs yeah now don't get me wrong i i don't think i could do it i don't think i could put up with a bunch of third graders for eight hours a day i my mind and body just not made for that but if that's the passion you're going for i mean you volunteered and signed up to do it that's your prerogative I agree, Mike. I think teachers get paid pretty well. But even if they don't, no one's sitting around hiding the fact about how much teachers make, right? Like, you can look this stuff up and figure it out. That's too much work, <laughs> Nick. They don't want to do that. Right? Like, no one's sitting around like, oh, you're going to be a teacher? Why? You want to be a millionaire? No. <laughs> I, I don't know why this is so shocking to a lot of people. Yes. But bringing it back to elementary schools, for high school systems, one teacher teaches one subject. I don't understand why we don't do that for middle school and elementary school. Why, why have a jack-of-all-trades instead of having a specialist to fully teach and fully understand it? Like, what's the saying, Nick? You can't, if you can't teach to someone, you don't fully understand how it works. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Especially something I ran across is only like 30% of teachers have a degree in something other than teaching. Everyone went to school for teaching, which makes sense, right? You're going to be a teacher. I'm not saying that it's their fault. What I'm saying is they're very knowledgeable about teaching, okay? Well, what happens when you're going to go teach history or math? You know, you have a background knowledge, but compared to someone whose focus was math or whose focus was history, we need to get away from, you know, the teaching being the four-year degree degree and maybe if you're going to go to school for four years to be a teacher you do two years of teaching intensive teaching and two years of intensive whatever you're going to do whether it be history or math and you get rid of the bullshit like in that way you have someone who is very knowledgeable about history and who is very knowledgeable about math and they just go maybe around the district and they teach specifically their subject and they're very well versed in it and they can answer questions because sometimes kids will ask questions that are really decent like uh, people <laughs> 
kids say the darnest things yeah and if you don't have that background you won't be able to answer it and and that's you know you can look it up for them i'm sure but you know if you have that background knowledge you can go more in depth and really understand the way things work i mean just look at the reason world war one started we've all learned the reason world war one started is because the assassination of archduke franz ferdinand but there's a lot leading up to that that we just never talk about because it's really in depth Oh, that was just a spark that lit the gunpowder. That was that was all that assassination was. Exactly. I think part of the problem is teachers who taught us that, they, they're not experts in history, or maybe they are, but that's all they we were supposed to know, and that was enough to get us by. But we lose out on all that history because it was being taught by a generalist, not a specialist. So I want to add a couple things onto here because I'm, I'm happy we have a very similar mindset for this. It's a very easy question to you, the audience. Would you rather get taught a specific skill by a person who's a professional and expert on it, or would you rather get taught a specific skill by a generalist? And Nick, the idea of a specialist moving around the district, I actually have and thought about this for a solution. Current school system in America is 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., eight hours a day. And now we'll get to time, we'll get to sleep we'll get to all that but currently how it goes is like we mentioned earlier with the factory is bell rings you move to a different classroom and you have all the subjects every single day an hour piece i thought well why don't we just break up the subjects per day so history on monday english on wednesday you know math on thursday etc etc and that way different schools can have different days so the history teacher will still work monday through friday but his monday job will be at school and his Friday's day will be at school B. So if we have a specialist, because let's be honest, we all want to be trained by a specialist rather than a generalist, we could have that specialist teach the entire day. So we break up the classroom instead of the traditional elementary high school, how it is from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. and Monday through Friday and have all the subjects every single day, we dedicate a subject to one day of the week. So instead of teaching seven subjects a day, you'll have history and English on Monday, math and physics on Tuesday, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now we can rotate that school system with a different school system. So that school system has history and English on Monday. The other school has history and English on Tuesday. That way that same teacher is still teaching Monday through Friday and just doing a rotation to different schools. And it doesn't have to be that many schools. You can have the week split up to, what, there's seven subjects in a school day. So it sounds like you could repeat the day. So you could have twice a week, three times a week, a full day dedicated to a subject. Just half the day dedicated to English, half the day to history, have that Monday and Thursday. More like a college almost. So that way the specialist is a specialist, can fully teach a subject, is not trying to cram an entire curriculum in an hour and they can go to different schools do rotations that way it's not as necessary to have a generalist who can teach everything you can have that specific specialist and have the best specialist for that educational system does that make sense to you nick yeah, that makes sense. And that's something that you, you, I think you see a little bit higher up, like in, specifically in colleges when you have specialists, you know, where you teach certain subjects. When it gets your higher level college classes, you get down to something specific, like the nitrogen cycle or something like that. What it comes down to is, do you want someone like, you know, Mike, who, you know, we talk about a lot of different subjects, right? And he, I've taught him a lot about trees when we talk a lot a bit about organic material and plants. Do you want him teaching you about how to grow trees? Because he's covered a lot about it. 
it. And he knows about a lot of different things. And he's a really smart guy. And that's not going too far. Or do you want me, who went to college to grow trees, be a forester, who knows a lot about the ecology, do you want me to teach about growing trees? And maybe I teach a lot of different people about growing trees and travel around. Or I have one guy, Mike, who he can teach you about growing trees. He can teach you about math. He can do all that. But when, say, you start getting in depth and your teacher's kind of SOL because they have a rudimentary understanding because they not only have to teach ecology, but they have to teach basic math. They have to teach writing, reading, like English, like everything. So you're, they are generalists and know a lot of different things that, that we don't know. But when you start to get in depth, that's when they start to lose their knowledge base. Yeah, I'd rather teach about combustion engines than, te- than teach trees. I It's just everyone has their field. Everyone has their specifics. And I don't know about you, Nick, but for my degree in the engineering field, none of my professors for engineering classes ever went to school to teach engineering they most of the time were professionals or researchers in the real world of field and then they decided they wanted to teach so they have real world experience and then entered the teaching world so they know what's actually happening out there yeah, and those are the good teachers who have real-world experience. And I, I think that's something we'll cover when we get more to college. I think we're still a little bit below that, but we can keep talking about teacher experience if you want, or do you want to keep talking about uh, like grade school? I kind of want to. I kind of want to double back a little bit to uh, elementary school, mainly with we were we were mentioning you know teachers being generalists, not specialists. I think it's also important to see is where that testing is coming in and how t- students learn differently. Maybe by fourth grade, teacher I imagine could tell what kind of way a student learns. So maybe have different options instead of the old way of read from a textbook, memorize it, write it down on this piece of paper when it's test time. That system. Does doesn't work anymore in the 21st century. We have now the internet, which is a fascinating, wonderful thing, thank God. So having to memorize everything is worthless. Hell, there are kids who are five years old who can operate a phone better than some teachers can. So the old way of memorizing is no longer needed. We have to change our education system where it's not finding the information, it's simply using the information. Like Nick, I I imagine you had this in a math class sometime or some other science class where if only you had the formula sheet, you could pick out the right one and use it. But instead you have are forced to memorize the formula, even though in the real world, you never do that. And also with your phone, you could do within 10 seconds, a quick search and come across the formula. That was impossible in the 1800s and pretty much all all the 20th century. So why are we still using that old system that is completely out of date is bananas to me. I completely agree. And this is something that, yeah, I, I can definitely relate to. I wish I could credit. I forget exactly what one of my teachers said this. He said, you know, I don't want you to memorize this. I want you to understand where to get this information because you have access to a library and the internet. The only, And so you can get any knowledge you want. Now, what's going to be beneficial to you is knowing how to get that quickly. I, like I said, I mentioned previously, I'm a forester. I work outside in the woods. I don't have phone service, but I do do a lot of math and I do have a lot of formulas I need and units of measurement. So I made a cheat sheet for myself at work that has all the formulas, all the numbers I need to know that I take out in the woods with me. Preparedness, knowing what you need is more important than memorizing all that. I Now I pretty much have it memorized. I've been doing it for a year or two. But at the time when I started, I knew what I needed to know. So I just wrote it all down in a very easy to use formula and a Excel spreadsheet so that I could always have it with me. And it just is time saving. Even though I don't 
don't have access to the internet. I'm out, out of service in the woods, but I still need all that stuff. I just had to write it down and be prepared. So I don't know. I understand previously when you had to memorize all that stuff, but to me, in the era of internet, it almost makes more sense to have maybe like more of an open book test, not an open book test, but, you know, bring your ex- your um, formulas written down. Like, you know, it's going to be more beneficial to know which formula to use than it is to know the formulas because you can look up any formula you need. I mean, it, if you're at work or something, you have a computer or a phone. Like, come on, let's be realistic about the technology that we have. So, Nick, I want to add on to that because this is where I think it gets complicated. So we both love history. Why is it unfair for a student to pull out their cell phone and figure out what year was the Battle of Waterloo and they have to memorize it? Now, I, to me, understanding and learning history is important because history always repeats itself. And there should be, I think, some form where you have to test the students to they're actually paying attention. But trying to force students to memorize specific dates, trying to get students to memorize certain locations, it doesn't seem ideal to me for especially a young age like elementary, middle school, and even high school because they can just quickly pull out their phone and do a quick search of, oh yeah, Waterloo was in, in this year. Okay. I, I, that's why do I need to memorize that when I can know where the information is? Maybe test the students on why was this important? Did you pay attention to class? Like why was this a significant battle? Why, why did this change history a bit? Why was this key to how society is today? Maybe test on that behalf, but memorizing dates or memorizing formulas or location geography, it's, it seems rudimentary and it seems foolish to me, but it comes to a, like math is math is a good example that me and Nick have both brought up. You can just if you have the formula and you know how you should just be taught of how to use it, when to implement it, and when it modify it so it fits whatever scenario you're doing. With history, I think it's a little bit more harder, and probably with other classes such as English or foreign language, it you have to change that test system. It can't be the same type of test for all the subjects. So I, I just want to add to that to that point. Yeah, and I think um, what this kind of comes down to is we're getting our school systems gotten away from a hierarchical structure of learning, right? So in the past, say before uh, the Industrial Revolution, school built upon or teaching built upon what you learned previously, right? So say when you're learning history, first you would learn like a rough outline of history, and then you start learning the finer details. So you might learn, um, you know, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam War. And then the next year, you might learn a little bit about the causes of all those wars. And then the next year, you might go even more in depth about the tactics used in those wars, what actually went down on the ground. But it's continually building on each other, which is something that I don't think we really build upon previous lessons in our uh, school system today, like specifically in history. You know, I learned a lot of American history, but I felt like I was learning the same lesson no matter what year I learned it, whether it be uh, fifth grade to seventh grade to high school, I don't think I really learned anything new. Now, I did read a lot in my own time, and I learned a lot that way. Now, I want to talk about self-education later, so if we could hold off on that for a sec. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I do want to point out something, Nick. I The reason why, I, I thought the same process as you of you're kind of every year just restarting and doing the same thing over and over again of, okay, so we taught this last year. Now we're going to touch it again because it's a different professor. So, because you might've forgot during the summer. Now I'll probably be very unpopular with our younger audience, but it seems to me the summer break should probably be shorter. So that way we can help retain that information. Cause I don't know about you, Nick, there's been plenty of times when I was in elementary school, middle school and high school where I have a summer break and I forgot a lot what I was just taught the previous year. 
here. Yeah, but I think traditionally summer break is when a lot of kids had jobs, and that's when you learn values and do other stuff. And maybe in today's day and age, it's kind of being wasted. But I think, you know, outside of school learning is not to get too off topic, but I think that's an important part of it. Now, I, th- I do see the argument for shortening summer for the school district. I'm opposed as a person who likes fun and likes to not be in school pers- on a personal level. But don't get me wrong, I do see the science and the math. Everything kind of says maybe we shouldn't take so long off school. Logically, it makes sense, right? Oh, yeah. I'll tell you, Nick, like growing up, summers were my favorite time because of doing adventures with friends. Kind of self-growth in the summertime was a big, big thing for me. Yeah, exactly. And in all the different experiences that, you know, kind of made you who you are, summertime was definitely an important part of that. Just from catching fish, chasing bugs, riding your bike, doing athletics, all the things that you did that kind of grew you into who you're going to be. A lot of that took personal development took place in summertime. So I think it's an important part of not just American culture, but just the culture of growing up. So I actually have a compromise that I think might make both sides happy. The school year's longer, but instead of an average five times per week, you go to four times per week. And much like for winter break, you have a month off. You'll also have a month off in the summer break. That's interesting, mostly because this is getting completely off topic. But if everyone had the same month off for summer break, that would you'd you kind of have to maybe each different school had a different month off just for uh, tourism purposes. You know, you can't do everything over that one month. That ooh, that's a good idea. That's very interesting. I've never thought about that. But I the reason why I bring up that three day weekend and longer summer days is a like you said, Nick. As much as I don't want to give up my summer, all the science says it'd be better for our educational system if we do. But part of me is like fuck school. I want my freedom. So I still want to have a summer break, just maybe not as long. And the idea for the three day weekend is simply to give kids a break, to not get burned out, to not hate this, not to not dread going to school every single day, to wake up at seven, go to school every single day, to actually maybe even catch up on some sleep, which we'll probably talk about in high school. But it's, I don't know. I was just looking for a compromise. I'm not quite sure if it would work, but hell, who knows? I'm just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, and I think that's something that it's one of those things like it, it is popular and it might be good, right? But I think parents and teachers would both rather tackle other problems than, than that. So I, I think that's a pipe dream. I don't think I could see shortening summer by like a week or two and maybe every year shorten it by like a few days. But I don't think you'll ever see like right away. We're just going to change because it makes sense. That, that'd that be a tough sell. Even like you said, yes, it makes sense, but I don't want to give up my freedom. And I would say in America, we really don't want to give up our freedoms, but who knows anymore? I thought of a really dumb analogy for the summer and school system taking it is, yeah, it's probably not the healthiest to eat a double stack cheeseburger loaded with all the goodies and extra patty and have fries with it but i still want it we keep saying this over and over again on the podcast of education is the key we need to adapt the amount of technology that has changed in the past 10 years let alone 100 and plus years whatever the modern educational school system rise so i can't imagine the changes needed but maybe moving on to high school nick unless you have some more for elementary school 
Yeah, it's it's almost pre-K as well. Um, so one of the biggest complaints by teachers is that parents aren't involved enough in their children's education. And I know this personally. My parents, when, when I went into kindergarten, I couldn't read. And the teacher brought my parents in and said, well, this kid can't fucking read. And uh, my parents were like, yeah, we know. That's why he's in school. Like, <laughs> you're you're the teacher, right? Like, <laughs> you teach him to read. She's like, well, most of the students can read. And uh, my parents were like, um, okay, well, this kind of seems like it's it's your problem, right? Like, am I not... Like, I'm not shitting my parents at all. My parents are great. And I, I, as you know now, I love to read and I read all the time. But when I was a kid, I didn't give a fuck about reading. I didn't really start reading till fifth grade or so. I was in behind reading. Like, I did special reading classes because I was so bad at reading. But I just didn't care, I guess. But part of the problem is uh, the teachers continually say lack of parent involvement. And I don't think it's, you know, if, if parents are supposed to be in charge of their kids' education, why don't they homeschool them? You know, like, teachers, teachers need to do the job of education. And it's important that parents, you know, help their kids with, when, with homework and stuff. But but it shouldn't be teachers shouldn't be expecting kids to show up at school and be literate because that's their job and so i don't i don't the whole point is my, both my parents worked they both had jobs they were busy and my me and my mom would read books all the time my mom would read to me all the time so i was constantly seeing these things but it wasn't exactly something i cared about and so it's not that my parents weren't involved in my education i think my parents did a good job of educating me outside of school but i don't think they need to be entirely responsible for my education especially if i'm going to school for fucking eight hours a day yes and no i agree with there shouldn't be entirely they they shouldn't all fall on the parents but i also agree i also think it should all fall on the teachers i feel like there's definitely a middle ground maybe like 80 20 80 percent of the teachers and 20 percent because we do learn from our peers and the people we look up to like we see their habits. We learn from them. We're, as kids, I mean, even today as adults, we're always constantly learning. We're always watching and monkey see, monkey do. So some of me, some part of me thinks that, yes, your, your parents should pay, you should be more involved in a student's life, not just a parent's life, like not just raising them, but also educating them. But I see where you're coming from, Nick, where it should be majority of the teacher's job, but again, I, I think it's like 80-20 or something right there, but I, I could be mistaken. Yeah, and I guess what I'm saying is I, I I didn't enjoy reading as a kid, Like, and I'm, I don't know what you call it, like uh, when I was in second grade, I was at like a kindergarten reading level, and then by uh, like sixth grade, I was at a high school reading level. I just didn't care, and then one, time, one day I found out reading is fun, and then I cared. There's nothing that's going to make me <laughs> learn beforehand, so... I, I just feel like per like I feel attacked that my parents got called out for being bad teachers when they could when when teachers couldn't even teach me to enjoy reading until I wanted to enjoy reading and I think parents it's important that they teach values and they can you know they'll help you teach like no they're not gonna be my, my parents obviously were helped me learn things but one of the pro things I ran across when studying this is like teachers continually complain and I'm only saying this because of the the double standard. Teachers continually complain that it's unfair that uh, for kids who have single parent household, right, like a mom who works all the time who can't teach them to teach, they're always complaining that it's unfair to those kids, yet they're also complaining parents aren't involved enough. So are we making a system where parents need to do a lot of the teaching? Or are we making a system that helps all kids, no matter how many parents and how much time they have? 
Probably the first one, Nick, if I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> Probably the first one. No, like that's definitely what's happening. And my, my whole thing is these teachers are always complaining that it's unfair to single mothers and all this stuff, but simultaneously creating a, a space that gives advantage to those people who don't have that. So they want all of the credit and none of the responsibility. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. No, it it really doesn't. But I think you are right with pre-K being a big benefit. Because I imagine e- even if you're three years old or something like that, A, it's kind of a daycare. So like parents can work. They don't necessarily have a, they kind of already have a certified babysitter. They don't have to go vet and find one their own. And also they will make sure you're prepared. So once you get into more important and major schooling that you're able to read. And Nick, I can make you feel a little better. Uh, surprise, surprise. I had difficulty with speech when I was young. There were lots of... (laughs) Don't... So I was in a special class for for a couple years, and then I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to double down and teach myself, and I got a lot better and pushed all the way to Excel and somehow got a degree. So I, I, I can relate, Nick. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and this isn't something I looked up, but it's almost like, uh, this is this going to be a major shock, it's almost like different people learn at different rates, right? Like, not that you're, you know, a, like a freaking professional pronouncer, but not, like, not everyone learns at the same rate. Like, I, not to keep going back to this, I read all the fucking time now, and I love reading, but I didn't want to read then. I mean, I was in, like, the special class with, like, the special kids trying to figure out how to read. <laughs> And uh, it turned out I just didn't want to, or I, I don't know what it was, what clicked, but suddenly I found something I was interested in, interested in, and I started reading all the time. And then I went from being in the back of the pack to the front of the pack. So, you know, maybe that says something about like being, uh, you know, each, each person learns at their own rate and you need smaller class sizes to individually tailor lessons or something like that. But, you know, it's, I would have been that, <laughs> that left behind child, right? Like I was the idiot and, uh, but it, I just needed time. There's something I want to jump on that you said is you learn to love it on your own. I think that was huge for, I, I imagine, almost everyone. You As soon as soon you find something that you're passionate about and you do it, when you try to make all this generic generic learning, you can't get that passion inside of a child. Like, it, it, they have to discover that on their own, and the education system should give them the opportunity to. And I feel like the education system needs to get kids, especially at a younger age, more excited about education. I don't know about you, Nick, but in elementary school, I don't really remember doing any or seeing any experiments. It wasn't until middle school where I started seeing that stuff. Did you see any experiments in elementary school? No, not really. I do want to talk about passion later. So yeah, that's definitely a, a huge thing for me. Well, let me let me let me finish my point right here of if we show them just like basic stuff like baking soda and vinegar mixed together creates a, can you can make a rocket out of it and you go and you go this is why we're learning a squared plus b squared equals c squared or this is why this is uh this is like a really good book like you can show a person a, like they sh- you put a movie in class or something like that it's like this is why we're learning so you can make this like you give them an example you make them happy i don't know about you nick but when i'm physically working with my hands and physically doing what i've just been taught or i'm doing something with my hands to learn it i'm much more engaged i'm much more focused i sticks better with me and i imagine doing that at a young age simply doing small experiments in front of the kids it can be it could be something small like i don't know try to design the best boat to hold many pennies out of aluminum foil and then you 
can go, well, we're learning this because water's a liquid and gas is lighter than, and then solids are dense. So something simple, but just show them that it can be applied and make them happy and smile and want to do more experiments or learn more words for stories or something like that. I imagine, imagine that would make so many more kids happy and excited to go to school. No, I think that's definitely a thing. I went to college as a fraternity. That was pretty much all ag and natural resources. And, and going to school for forestry, surprise, surprise, you get a lot of guys who want to work outside, guys and girls who want to work outside. They're all very hands-on. Same with a lot of the people who are in the, the ag side. They wanted that hands-on stuff. And it's very common for people to say, oh, I, I'm not going to understand this until I do it. And so I don't know. Yeah, I, I really didn't look this up, but uh, I just kind of thought about it now. I don't know if that's common or if that's just I was in like a microcosm of people who, who learn that way. But to me, it seems like I know more people who learn by doing than by listening. Oh, completely agree. I had one friend at university who could read the textbook and then completely understand all of it. And I'm like, well, one, I hate you. And two, that just sucks. Like that, it, it, I, I agree, completely agree with you, Nick, that I think more people, when they actually have to do it, they learn more. It's talks cheap, actions hard. So when you actually have to do that action, it's more impressive. I, I, that's just to me, like, I, I don't know, but we could just be crazy, Nick. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, but I think there's definitely something to that. I think people definitely learn by doing and they see that you go and do, you know, you can learn something a thousand times and you go and do it. Well, something happened. There was an obstruction and then you have to learn to deal with that. And so now you have to figure out how that variable plays into it. You know, I can learn how to plant a tree a thousand times. It's a really simple process. Scalp ground, clear organic matter, put shovel in the ground, push away from you, sweep tree in the ground. Well, what happens when your roots don't look the way they're supposed to? Or what happens when the ground is shitty? What happens when it's all gravelly and not good dirt? What happens when it's duff? It's, it's a very simple thing to teach. But it's something that requires, when you're actually teaching out in the field and you're in charge of guys planting trees, there's a lot of little questions that come up because each time it's different. There's different variables that come into play and you need to understand how each of those will affect your outcome. And that's why I think that hands-on learning is, is easily the best way to do it. And you, like you said, Mike, you need these experiments because people want to know why they're learning and why that's important. I mean, how many, well, you don't have social media, but I see memes all the time. It's like, man, I can tell you that mitochondria is the powerhouse to sell or a squared plus b squared equals c squared but fuck i don't know how to do taxes it's like we learn all these things that we don't know what their application is even though i will regularly use like pythagorean theorem and stuff like that that i do use a lot of that math but i there's also things i didn't learn and it's like you really have to teach kids of not just how to use these formulas but why we're using these formulas and what we're going to get out of it and when we'll use them later oh absolutely i also think since we're still in elementary schools i think the younger you are the more general the classroom should be and as you keep going up through the grades the more specialized it should be so have like you know the generic history class generic math class etc etc but the older you get the more focused it becomes because yeah we all we always need a foundation but once you have that foundation we don't need to keep adding on to that like we said with taxes nick of well if we keep learning the same thing in the same history class over and over again or some knowledge that let's be honest, we're not going to use and everyone knows it, but somehow we're still learning it. Hey, maybe we, we teach people how to be, you know, an adult or useless or useful classes and such. But again, I think elementary and pre-K should be kind of foundation, but it's the older you get, the more split off and specialized you become. 
Yeah, and since we're still in kind of elementary school, I'd like to talk kind of about things that we don't learn that we should learn. So uh, one of my big things is uh, agriculture in, in general. We all eat food and we all benefit from that, but there is a amazing disconnect. Like I can't even describe, I mean, we could have content for months if we just focused on the difference in what actually occurs in agriculture versus what's portrayed in the news of just how our food is made and the process that goes into that. And I'm sure we all know, everyone knows this, agriculture is a pretty bad rap, right? Like, like uh, you know, t- even talking about just say fertilizer and how fer- like fertilizer that gets into the streams causes algal blooms. You know, this... Don't even talk about GMOs. <laughs> yeah, whole, whole nother deal. But uh, I'd like kids to go out to a farm and kind of see that and, and learn that no one wants algal blooms, right? Like no farmers going out there just spraying the shit out of the streams like, ah, fuck you, stream health. These are just things that, that happen in modern agriculture because nature's unpredictable and, and we can get flash floods or, strain, or rain or whatever. But this is why we do what we do. And this is just what a farm looks like and learn that Farmers do ha- and ranchers have a relation to their animals, and it's not it's not uh, what you see in the news and the media. And just get that hands-on experience like we're talking about. And maybe you go back and you know when you're a little kid, first or second grade, go to the farm, kind of see everything and learn the basics. But then when you come back later on in high school or junior high, when you understand a little bit more, your reading comprehension's better, you're more dialed in on the news, and you kind of have some thoughts about modern agriculture. And you can ask ask an actual farmer like. Let's get a dialogue going. And this doesn't need to be farming. I mean, I, I think for I, I do think every American needs to take an agriculture class and learn how food is made. But I think this is something that would really benefit every area for, say, their major industry. Like out by us, we have teachers who are actively teaching the dangers and what is bad about forestry and, and logging and all that. And there are dangers in forestry and logging. There's dangers in agriculture. There's dangers in everything we do. But it's important that kids know that there are good things that come out of it too. For example, for agriculture, food, that's a pretty good thing. For us, you know, people build houses and whatnot, and it's benef- it's beneficial for the environment, ecology of disturbance. But, you know, you can expand on it each time those kids see it. You know, the give a shout out to the schools in the uh, lower Umqua here. Um, each uh, before COVID times, we do a thing where we take all the kids out and all the kids plant a tree. We teach them how to plant trees and they all plant a tree and then uh, they can come back later and there's a big old sign that says class of whatever planted these trees are this many years old and they can see their planted trees and we get them involved in forestry and and a lot of their dads are involved in forestry and whether they be loggers or truck drivers or whatever and then the kids are those kids are super excited because they want to be just like their dad and they want to be involved in it and it's really cool and then other kids they just have no idea about all that stuff And, and it's kind of our one chance to teach these kids a little bit about forestry and it's that knowledge this is something that happens outside their houses every day right like trees are continually cut down go to the mill a lot of those kids who graduate from high school by us are going to be log truck drivers loggers you know they're going to be cutters they're going to be equipment operators they're going to be road 
builders, but that's something that's rarely taught around us. And it's kind of, it kind of blows my mind that one of the major industries, this area in schools, if you learn about it, it's, it's the bad guy. And so I think just, you know, we talked about how schools teach you what to learn instead of how to think, but just kind of being in touch with your local area and learning about the industries and what drives your local economies could be good. You know, it's going to be different for each area. I do think it's important that everyone learns agriculture because we do all eat. Like that's something we all have in common. At the very base level, we all eat food. Ah, me especially. I love a good, like I mentioned, cheeseburger. But for me, Nick, I think one thing I would really want, especially at a young age, to throw into the educational system is show things aren't always black and white. Like, it kind of adds on with you with the forestry. Things in the real world are complicated. And simply saying, I don't know, nuclear energy is bad, but why is it bad? What are its benefits? Show kids to question things, to not always go down the beaten path, to to understand right and wrong kind of depends on what side of the fence you're on. And maybe another attribute, I'm not quite sure how this could be implemented, but show that it's okay to fail. I think so many students are underneath pressure of they have to succeed. They have to get a good GPA. They have to get an A on this test. They have to do this. They have to do this. Show that it's okay to fail and try again. Like, I, like maybe with testing for, especially at young age, like elementary school, maybe maybe have more tests, but it's able to retake the test. So you take a test, you failed, you realized, oh shit, I didn't study hard enough. I'll have, I'll ask to retake the test. And I'll study harder this time. Get that little lesson. Or I don't know, say there's the, the teacher usually has three tests per year. So you do six and she takes the best three. Seems a little bit more fair because you realize that oh, I messed up here, but it's not the end of the world. Or like you, Nick, where you failed one test and the best you could do is a C minus. It just doesn't, that doesn't seem right to me. So maybe, maybe start young of, hey, it's okay to fail and not everything's black and white, but that's okay. Ask questions and figure it out. Let, I, kids are a lot smarter than people think. They're we're curious beings as human beings. So if we have the opportunity to figure something out, I mean, Nick, I imagine you're like me where once or twice you took part the remote control just to see how it works. So I imagine if we gave them that opportunity to question and show them that, hey, if you don't know what it is, go figure it out. You can do it yourself. Just maybe imply that or show them how to go about it. So that kind of ties in with, you know, self-education goes in with a young age of, you know, instead of teaching memorization, you're teaching implementation and teaching, again, I think learning, knowing to fail is, but be okay with it is huge because I hate to tell you this, folks, you're going to fail at something in your life. You're probably going to fail at a lot of things in your life, but your best growth comes from your failures. So again, teach that to kids, teach them to take chances and take risks. Yeah, so I think the biggest thing you said that I loved was uh, teach kids that not everything is black and white. Because I think that is something sorely lacking in our society. You know, there's no black and white. There's no middle ground. There's no compromise. It's either left or right. And in look at the news. People are viewing things one of two ways, depending on where they get the news from. I doubt all these issues are black and white. There is a middle ground somewhere. You know, like I t- talked about with agriculture. Yeah, there's a... There's a way where there's no fertilizer that get accidentally gets into the groundwater or whatever in the United States. That involves us not doing agriculture, and all our agriculture is done in China, where they give a zero fucks about their water system and just 
spray herbicide everywhere and fertilize the shit out of all their crops and it, it fucking goes anywhere so there's pros and cons to both sides and i think that's something that people just don't realize that there for some reason people in the united states seem to think that things are black and white which is one of the most ridiculous things i've ever heard of and for those listening who might think well how are you gonna teach black and white to a kindergartner who's not understanding politics and stuff like that you can start real simple say they have a spelling bee or something like that and the winner gets some smarties and you can show the rest of the class of hey he won this it's his which is kind of selfish but he earned it so that's one side and He could say, hey, you could share with everyone, and that'd be really nice of you, but you don't have to because you earned it. So it's kind of showing both sides, showing that, hey, he's being selfish and not sharing, but also showing, hey, he won that, he earned that, so it's his. You could show kind of both sides of a a coin and show it's not black and white. You could do simple things like that to once they start getting smarter, once people start getting more creative, more critical thinking— show how politics industry nature all that's not black and white yeah even using like tragedy of the common situation we talked about another episode where you know you can you have an ocean and you have we did this uh exercise in high school there's like 50 goldfish and you each can take as many goldfish as you want and however many goldfish are in there you get times three goldfish they were each pair of goldfish will reproduce three offspring so realistically you would figure out that you know if you can take a certain amount and keep your population steady each each year quote unquote year you can remove the same amount of goldfish but there's someone in that room who made up country they need to take this many goldfish to feed their starving population and that may exceed what the other people can take so at some point you have to decide well do we feed these starving humans or do we let these goldfish or let the goldfish population dwindle until there's nothing there's no real right answer to that i mean you can debate but there's no real right answer you know either way you're an asshole and that's something that people just got to figure out like there are some things where you just don't win yes and since we're talking about winning and elementary schools please for the love of god please stop handing out participation trophies i i hate those so much personally i don't really think that's a big issue because you know as a kid whether you won or lost like that was you would think so but there's times i've seen where kids like are happy for losing and i don't think that's great like i don't know as a kid i always knew if i was winning or losing and yeah you get a trophy at the end of the year no matter what but you know whether you got that first or second place trophy or whether you got like the whatever trophy like there's there's a difference and i feel like most kids know it you know that yeah but knowing versus reinforcement i think are two different things i i i don't know i just it seems like you're crutching them too much like good job but wasn't good enough here's something for your time sometimes i don't think could be great don't get me wrong for certain situations of course if like a kid's very depressed or something like that of course help them up but overall in general i think instew that if i want what i want i have to work harder if i want that trophy i have to work harder if i want to win this science competition i have to work harder i think again going back to it's okay to fail i think it's important to know that hey if i lose it's not the end of the world i just have to work harder i think that gets instilled very young and i think participation trophies might take away from that now how much i'm not i don't know i did not research that but even if it's 10 percent, that's 10 percent of a whole population so um that's that's a huge number 
No, I, I agree. Like it, it is, it is, it does get ridiculous and out of hand. And I think it's, it is important that, you know, kids, I, I think what's more important than participation trophies is kids get recognized for success, right? Like you get a good trophy for winning. Like you get recognized for winning in your hard work and recognizing that hard work is something that's important because, you know, ideally it would happen in your future. You know, you do, you work hard, you get rewarded. That's the American dream. But it's important to instill that in kids that you work hard you get rewarded because that is the one thing I think that's the parents job that it's hard to teach in school is is values and I think values go a long way longer than most education I think if I was a fucking idiot with good values I could get further in life than an asshole who went to Yale because I think at least for the industry I'm in it really doesn't matter how smart you are and it, it does help like you will be rewarded for being smart the reason that you keep someone is because of values and honesty honesty and hard work we can train someone in pretty much anything you can't train someone to be honest and you can't train someone to work hard so i'm actually going to disagree with you on that so for your yale analogy yes for your specific field but overall if you look in general i believe the asshole would probably come out on top in our system so i would prefer it the other way but sometimes being ruthless and mean gets you to the top like it's scientifically proven the more assertive and aggressive you are especially in the business world the more promotions and higher up the food chain you go nice guy kind of finishes last it's true on a general scope but when you start getting specifics like your field it's not always true so i i just want to make that asterisk yeah it definitely is per industry but what i think it is like right now for not just my industry but i know there's a lot of industries out there looking to hire people and no one is struggling to find qualified people but people are really struggling to find honest and hardworking people and it's getting a little bit off topic but it does kind of relate is that we school system has put out a lot of qualified people for various positions the only thing keeping them from those positions is their attitudes and their work ethic yeah i would agree with that if you don't apply yourself you don't get it i mean in one way or the other everyone's part of a team some sort of form and shape so if you're not a team player i don't want you on my team like we've all seen it before with athletics of having a superstar team that is full of talent lose to some underdog team because the underdog team yeah on an individual layer might not have the fastest the best hands etc etc but they work well together and they get the job done well look at look at hockey right american hockey teams even though most hockey teams are made of canadian and russian players american hockey teams america breeds a culture of you know doing it yourself which is good like you you should be responsible for your own actions. You should try and do it yourself. But in Canada, the Canadian teams breed a culture of teamwork. Canadian teams, I forget the number, are, but they are much more likely to pass to their teammates. It's a team effort. Americans, it's all about the player, right? Now, pros and cons, a lot of great players are on American teams, right? Like you get those superstars, right? You get like Sidney Crosby on the Penguins, like he can really stand out in America. In Canada, it's about the team. I'm not saying which way is right or wrong. I mean, both w- both ways will win championships, but there's something to be said for the teamwork aspect. It's weird, Nick, how not everything is black and white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it, but again i think that might tie into participation trophies of a, a, a little bit of understanding that 
if you're an individual who does, you know, does the best on a test or best in class, you should get recognized for it. If you're the best on the team, you should get recognized for it. So I think participation trophies take that away. And I do think even in young age, I mean, I think it's all the way from kindergarten to the master's degree in universities of excellence not being recognized. Yeah, you shouldn't always pat someone on the back and, you know, cuddle them and coddle them. But if they do a good job, let them know. I think that's extremely important. And I think that goes both ways, too. I think that's talking about teachers. I think um, I, later on, in college specifically, after I kind of realized how the system works, you know, in college, at least for me, every year we had teacher reviews. I made sure to review every teacher, right? And those teachers who were good, they got an awesome review. Yeah, I actually wrote shit. Like, I want to elevate those people. Because to me, just outsider looking in, the teachers who I, not just me, who everyone in my major like the most they got the least credit they got the least awards and all the bullshit and most of that stems from the fact that they weren't full-time teachers they didn't do the research they weren't in the christmas shit a lot of them were part-time foresters part-time teachers they still had their pulse on the industry they still knew what every day-to-day forester was dealing with and they were awesome teachers i learned more in an inventory class about soil and forest canopy processes than i did in my forest canopy processes class just because this guy was a freaking, he was a forester. He knew his shit. Mark Kimsey, give him a shout out. He was probably one of the best teachers I had. And in a subject that I really didn't enjoy. Like I liked the statistics. I understood them. I did not do very well in my first statistics class, but then I took forest statistics and they, it was pretty much the same class, but about trees. And for some reason I understood it a lot better, but he was able out in the woods. He'd talk about the d- different effects that different species have on the understory and talk about uh, the soil makeup and different micro macronutrients and it made a lot of sense because he phrased it in a way that a working forester could understand it which is what I was trying to get into but he wasn't like involved in the whatever stuff so he never got recognized and he was kind of looked down on by the other teachers but he was probably one of the best teachers I ever had the unsung heroes but Nick I think with I had very similar with reviews yes I would review the teachers I absolutely love and learn from very highly but too often or not I rated the teachers as average. It was very common to have a teacher, like say I have a score, just put them at like a 75. Just, yeah, they sort of taught me. It was average. I guess I got something out of the, cl- of the class. And I feel like that's on every level of education system, too much averageness for teachers, too much generalization, not enough, I, I, I guess, passion. I imagine you don't go into teaching, like we said earlier, for the paycheck, even though paycheck's pretty good, but you go in there because that's what you love to do. And if you're not passionate about it and you're just an average teacher, maybe you shouldn't be allowed to teach. I, I don't know. It just seems like there's so much averageness and not high enough standard and quality for teaching because everyone had that one teacher some time in their life of just like, I like you. You're my favorite teacher. You're the one who made me more passionate about so-and-so subject. And if it happens at a young age, might push a kid in a certain direction to pursue a certain field. You don't know. Yeah, and this is why I wanted to talk about passion specifically. Now, I didn't do any research into this, so don't don't be trying to look up these sources, but passion is one thing you, I don't believe you can teach. I learned passion from um, for forestry from my boss, Brian Austin, with the U of I University Forest. And at the time, I was going to school for fire ecology. I wanted to do wildland firefighting and move up in that world. And he taught me all about the world of forestry and, and growing trees, managing a forest and all that. And 
Scott wasn't even a teacher. He was just my boss on the student logging crew. But his passion, and this was kind of through school, right? Like I still worked for the university. I still I made a paycheck, but it was, it was still kind of like a learning experience, which isn't uncommon out in the Pacific Northwest to have universities have their own logging crews. And uh, but man, I I learned a lot from this guy, and he was passionate about what he did, and it drew me into forestry. And his passion ignited a passion in me for forestry. And I as the more I got into it, I was like, man, this is awesome. Like I did these research papers and projects and I was just really into it in a way that I wasn't as into other things. And uh, it's that one teacher that can make all the difference. And it's something that I think when you talk about specialists versus generalists, you can't expect a generalist to have a passion for math, social studies, history, science, all those things. They're going to be passionate about one of those things maybe, but you're going to try and ignite a passion in your kids with someone who is lukewarm about a subject. Let's try and do that with someone who fucking loves what they're teaching, right? Like my friends who went in to teach ag, give a shout out to Mr. Kindle. That guy was literally born to teach agriculture. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. And he loves it. And that's what he was put on this earth to do. And that's what he's doing. And I know that he is amazing at his job. Like, but there are people who are teachers who maybe don't share that same passion. And you want kids to learn, like you want dumbass kids like Nick to try and read. Don't give him some bullshit book about a fucking butterfly or what's called worm trying to turn into a butterfly like let him read about what he wants to read let him read about star wars like let him whatever you know let him read about trees let him explore his passion like ah it's it's crazy to me and then you get these guys this getting a little bit off topic teaching these higher level college classes who they're just there for the research like they don't give a shit about all this stuff like they have no passion left in it anymore like let's bring these young guys in who still have a passion for what they're about to teach and maybe they don't know as much as other guys but you can learn pretty much anything you can't teach passion and i I think that's something that's going to remain true to the end of time you can't teach passion you have it or you don't it seems to me too much that our education system is like a cookie cutter. All of us start out as dough, kind of unformed, but kind of figuring out our own way. But going through the same school system is like everyone going through the same cookie cutter. It You can't put a round peg through a square hole. It just doesn't work. And like you said with passion is like, for example, you said with a Star Wars book, instead of reading some, I don't know, Shakespeare. If it gets the kid excited to read, let him read what he wants to read. Let him fuel that fire. Whatever sparks the engine, let it spark. Let it So I guess what I'm saying, Nick, is I think education on all levels from elementary school to university need to be more fluid. They need to be more adaptable to the situation. It's not a one size fits all. And whatever, like, again, that book analogy was perfect. Whatever gets that passion going, whatever gets that starting, if if you got to pivot a little bit, adapt a little bit, do it. It's an education. Education is priceless. It's it's probably the most valuable thing in the world. So why not have it more fluid adaptability? to whatever the situation calls for i guess that's my major point and that's just for that's not just for elementary but like i said all the way up to universities yeah for sure and something that i thought was interesting and i don't know if we'll get into this now or later but um when obama went to south korea and he was talking to their minister of education for exactly what you call it so well, what is your your major problem so they're both talking on the subject of education and the south korean minister said well our problem is every single parent demands a world-class education no matter how little they put into it so if they have zero taxes or minimal taxes i know literally nothing about this house taxes in south korea work they still demand an education rival to some of their top schools 
in the United States, we don't have that problem. People want their children to be educated, but they, there's not the demand that there is in Korean schools. And we see this. I mean, Mike, you went to college. You're an engineer. So you've had Asians in your major. <laughs> that's an understatement, but yes. Yeah. So you've seen that drive, and, and that's something that we don't completely share in, in our country. And I think we, as a country, place a lot of emphasis on growing as an individual, which maybe they don't in other places. And I don't completely know which one's right and wrong, but that is something to consider that in South Korea, they pay less per student than, than we do in the United States. But if you've been to any university, you know the amount of people getting in, those guys... South Korea, Japan, China, those guys are getting into programs that a lot of us educated here in the United States are not, especially when it comes down to only merit. They're they're doing some good learning there, and I don't know what exactly that is. Now, they have almost no social life compared to the U.S., and their parents are a lot more strict, and I don't think that's the answer. But I'm saying that is, maybe it's not a solution, but it's something to look at and say, hey, maybe this isn't where our values are, but if you want this, this is what you're going to have to do to get it, so that we kind of keep things you know grounded in reality of saying you want to compete with these people this is what the american child will have to endure and we as americans we want the academic excellence of some of those countries with the work ethic of some of the countries that are lacking that and I, I think that's so you know we talked a lot about the education and the flaws in it there are flaws and i don't say flaws but we do have to be realistic in about the amount of time and effort invested in our returns yes i completely agree with it's not black and white we could all and we could definitely learn from our neighbors and other countries but again the part part of me thinking part of me is thinking work smarter not harder yes these say south korea is like doing 16 hours days because you know eight hour schools four hours uh school activities and extra studying like and then homework and such like that yeah that it is shown you'll learn a lot you'll know a lot but that doesn't mean it's the best system maybe with this century still quite young we experiment with the educational system we try to figure out what is the best way to teach people maybe we try to work smarter not harder because i don't know about you nick but there were t definitely a lot of times I would get burnt out in school and just go, I'm not doing this homework. I get tired of doing homework every single day, day in and day out. I mean, hell, the average time an American spends on homework after school is five hours. So... And so you have your school day, then you have your extracurriculars, whatever sport you're doing, then your homework. Yeah, it doesn't, that system just doesn't make sense because A, how are you going to spend time with your family? B, how are you going to spend time with your friends and learn social interactions and experiment and self-govern and self-learn, which is a huge point in both me and Nick's lives is learning on our own. And I, I imagine always being cooped up on a computer screen, always writing down, doing math formulas for five hours a day after you just did eight hours of school and say another couple hours of after school activities you're gonna burn out and that's probably a major decision leading to depression anxiety all these other issues is is they don't have time to think they don't have time to self-explore so again have a fluid educational system and change from our old ways just because we've been doing it for 100 plus years doesn't mean it's the right way to do it tradition isn't always good so i don't know Wait, so you're saying because that's how we, how we have always done it isn't the right answer? Things aren't always black and white, Nick. Things aren't always black and white. But you know the American way. That's the way we've done it before. That's the way dad did it. That's the way grandpa did it. That's the way I'm going to do it. 
No, it definitely plays a huge part. And it, I love how, and we'll talk about this in another podcast later, the, some of the great ironies in the United States, is a lot of the people who will defend the current education system decry, well, that's how, he's o- how we've always done it, so that's how we need to do it in the future. Yet when it comes to the education system, we apply that same argument. Well, that's how we've always done it, so that's how we'll do it in the future. So what what's the answer there? Is it because we've always done it that way, it's bad? Or because we've always done it that way, it's bad, asterisk? education system okay (laughs) somewhere in there there's a there's a real answer i i don't know where it's at well you're gonna have to sift through a lot of dirt to find that answer nick but uh let's let's kind of talk about high school a little bit here mike you were talking about let's talk about people in high school right and how much they need to sleep and what time high school start at that i would say is the biggest component i've seen when researching this was change the school times because teens are losing sleep and a big component of that is social media and the big component of that is school and not everyone's a morning person not everyone's an evening person and i don't know about you nick but when i'm sleep deprived it's really hurt it's really hard to learn algebra Oh yeah, and I didn't. Be- I'm a I'm a morning person myself, but I didn't become a morning person till I was till I graduated college, and I regularly woke up every day at that same time or early in the morning. I mean, not that I wake up anywhere between three to six in the morning, so it doesn't really narrow it down. But in college, I'd normally wake up around eight eight thirty. But then you have those seven a.m. classes, and, and it fuck everything up. And no matter who you are, if you've gone to college, you know the the burning hatred of those seven a.m classes and they're always the worst subjects right like uh my 7 a.m class like i mentioned previously was forest soil canopy processes which is literally just nitrogen cycle phosphorus cycle how nutrients are recycled in the forest and it's fucking boring like it's entertaining to me now but at the time with a monotone teacher fuck me no one there are people in there snorting coffee drinking coffee chewing chewing tobacco if you're not familiar like people do red bulls everywhere people do anything to stay awake but it was fucking hard oh man and and, in college you can do things you can't in high school for example probably can't use chewing tobacco in high school probably can't drink a red bull in high school i don't even know can you drink coffee in high school i don't know i'm not a huge coffee person but and North Campus at our high school, we could. I don't know about South Campus, but Nick, I have the same problem with you with college. Every single one of my calculus classes were the first in the morning classes. And I'm just like, really? You're putting one of those subjects I'm going to be using for everything in engineering, the one that's most important to learn in the morning when everyone is barely awake and can can function? Yeah, and that's when I learned statistics too. Like boring, like my general statistics class. It was 7.30 in the morning, so I got to sleep in in uh, half an hour. But it was so fucking boring, and everyone there was fucking just beat, and no one could learn anything. Like, it was fucking insane. I don't know why that's a thing. I mean, I know why, so that teachers can teach it and be done, do the rest of the day to have their own bullshit, which, don't get me wrong, I respect that. Like, I I get that. I want to get all my shit over in the morning, and the rest of the day is my day. But no one's learning anything no no you never learn anything hence why i think the splitting up the days instead of have all the subjects every single day kind of split that up to half a day for one subject half a day for the other you can start later and based on your level is how much time you need to spend on it so like history class if you're in ap history class and you're or let's not use history let's math it'd be simpler with math in ap math if you're getting good grades and you're showing up and you don't really need to come in that early for 
all the topic points, then you don't have to, so you can sleep in more. Or that teacher, instead of, you know, t- teachers have lives too, they want to get to their families, they want to, you know, do errands, they want to do their passions. If we make it so they're only, you know, doing a certain portion of the day, they only have to stay that certain portion of the day. They don't have to always come in early in the morning. We can have that rotation. I, I, again, I don't really see a point of spending an hour every single day learning a subject when you could spend five hours one day really in depth really figuring it out really trying to learn it because let's be honest like in high school we've all had like that one one class let's just say uh let's say with algebra where you're learning a subject and it's kind of hard and kind of important then the next day you kind of forgot where you left off or you needed more time more practice doing it but you have to wait the next day to do it instead of immediately do it right after if you're trying to learn an important skill one hour is kind of inefficient like i don't know about you nick but if i had one hour to study for a test i would not be ready if i had five hours i'd be think i'd feel pretty prepared yeah especially for uh idiots like me repetition is key right like i need practice problems and i need to do do over and over again or even when it comes to say english which you know we haven't talked too much about but we're going to go through romeo and juliet and we're going to talk about a few examples and then we're supposed to go home and expect to understand everything else it's like man if you gave us that much time we can go over the whole fucking chapter like with a teacher and then you know as you keep continually go and go you ask less and less questions because you understand more because those questions have been asked and you know the language and themes that they're building upon and you can do it more on your own now but as you go when you start out you don't know fucking shit i mean it's almost another language that they were teaching back then. So we're expected to le- to read it in class for 30 minutes. You have a 45-minute class, which I think is pretty common at where we went to high school. Ten of those minutes were handing out papers and, you know, getting papers back, sitting in your seat, people talking, getting told to shut up, figure out where you're at in the book. By the time you're actually doing the learning, you got about 35 minutes. So 35-minute session, and you have to figure out Shakespeare, which like it is like a whole other language. And I'm not saying we shouldn't learn it. We definitely should i mean we need to know not just the aspects of history but the small stuff like that right like shakespeare is not only a part of history it's a part of literature it's the way we understand reading and you can gain a lot from that book now there's other books that we need to read that are complete bullshit but i'm not gonna count shakespeare as part of those so i'm probably gonna piss some people off with this but oh well i don't think a lot of the books people are required to read in high school are worth a damn i the like romeo and juliet why the amount of books that are depressing that we have to read why shouldn't we be talking about reading books on anything virginia wolf why oh don't oh god why (laughs) fucking tell me is it because she's a lesbian all right this might really piss some people off but newsflash talent should have no relation to your sexual identity you can be talented and be a lesbian you can be talented and be straight but you're not talented because you're a lesbian you're talented because you're talented like that's the fucking way it goes i'm sorry virginia wolf book after i read them never reading them again it's fucking stupid it's whiny bullshit like it's fucking ridiculous i it's literally just a book on whining like it's the whole theme of virginia wolf is if you took charge of your actions you wouldn't be in that fucking situation we're gonna have to cut this (laughs) well i was gonna say virginia i did not know virginia wolf was a lesbian but okay yeah i don't understand why we read depressing books 
in high school. We should be filling the students up with hope, aspirations, and to chase their dreams. We should be reading, we shouldn't be reading things they've carried. We should be reading Atlas Shrugged. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be depressing kids during one of the most depressing times of their lives. I mean, high school depression is a huge thing. Suicide, just all those attributes. So why make it worse? Let's give them hope. Let's go, hey, this is a person who went on an adventure around the world. That's fucking awesome. And oh boy, I'm probably gonna piss off more people um depending on the class i think should also change the grading scale or how it's graded at least i guess the biggest comparison is art and math art i mean how can you give something an a b or c on art there's no really right answer with math there's a right answer obviously you should get points if you're closer and you know showing your work that makes sense but how does like english papers you should be graded on your comprehension and word choice but your opinion on it how i'm not sure how that's fair to grade i mean if you're using complex words and using complex thinking and thoughts yeah you should get a good grade on that but just because i the teacher disagrees with my statement like it happens to me and nick i i get a lower grade because of that that's fucking dumb you shouldn't grade everything equally it, it on the same scale that zero to 100 scale is ineffective nick here all right this is gonna sound crazy but nick are you familiar with sports you know like batting 500 and stuff like that I'm familiar with the sports, as uh, we call it in our house. My wife is a lot bigger sports fan than me, but yeah, I, baseball I can I can do. Okay, if you have a record and you're say seven and seven for most teams, that's a good thing. That's a fifty percent. That is an F in our education system. If you get half of everything right you still fail that seems weird to me also caveat it depends on the subject if a it, it doesn't make sense to me that you have to get far more than majority to pass i understand why it's important but that grading scale just seems weird to me where if i got 75 percent of everything correct if i got 75 percent of something done i still get a c i still get a like a crappy kind of grade how that doesn't make sense to me Does Does that make sense to you, Nick? Uh, yes and no. Like, I understand you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to finish things out, right? To to completion and see everything to completion. But I do understand, like, what with the certain things of, you know, okay, 75%, that's a C, and that's like the death, the death of you. Like, you're never going to get a job. I, there, I think there's, there's some leeway there of, okay, so he didn't completely grasp what we were teaching. But like we talked about, it seems like there's a lot of, of shit that goes into this, like, especially for for grading of man like you know i got a c because i like like you said i didn't grade right so yeah i can understand but if you look at it like like you said this is training you for factory work right this is training you for work if you do 75 percent of your job you're going to be close to being fired right like you're you're required to do 100 percent of your job so this one i can kind of see from both sides i can sort of see it from both sides but I don't think we should try to teach kids to be perfectionists. I think they should be trying to be completish. Like, like complete the task ahead of you. If you tried your hardest and you got a 75, you finished it out. You just didn't do that great. So you should be two different letter grades down. Because th- think about it. From 0 to 60 is one letter grade, and then it's increments of 10 by th- there. That seems a big discrepancy of with grading scales. And also... There could be a whole new grading scale I don't know about that would be much better than the traditional 0 through 
100. I haven't heard of one. Well, what if we just got rid of the, the letters, right? Like, wouldn't numbers be better? Because an A minus and a B plus are what, like, is like 90 or 89.5? You can have a B plus and an A minus or a B or an A and be 0.01 letters away from the other one. So there are students who are, are squeaking by with an A minus and students who are working their asses off for a B plus who are 0.01 letter grade away from each or letter points away from each other so why do we still do the letter grade now we need standards right like you, know, you need to be able to judge across different schools i mean there's if there's one thing humans are good at it's putting things in categories like that is look at any uh freaking linnaean taxological system per trees plants whatever we need things in categories we can't live without things being in categories to make it easy to compare so we need some system to compare students because humans that's how we operate like it or not we need a comparison oh i completely agree but yeah all all i was saying is maybe get rid of the letters and just use the numbers because like for me i i'm a i like to think i'm a I'm a decent student. I call myself an average student. I like to think I excel in certain fields, but at the end of the day, I think I get average grades. But personally, I've had classes where I worked my ass off for a C. That's like a few points away from a B, but it doesn't matter because that B is a letter grade up. So my GPA just drops because of it. It's not uh, reflective of my almost B. So maybe we just get rid of the letter grades because it turns out, um, why are we using letters to denote numbers when we have perfectly good numbers for those things well that's too much sense there nick but no i I agree we need to judge students on how well or how well they grasp the subject i'm just i don't think the current system we have is a good one i like one professor i had if you got all the wrong answers this was oh this might have been like energy conversion or thermodynamics or something like that if you got all the wrong answers but you're using you're going through the right steps and you had the right mind frame he would still give you nearly full credit he would still mark off because you obviously you messed up but if you understand what what if you understood what was happening and you understand the process and you're on the right path you got a lot of the point and i know for one professor of mine if you got stuck and you couldn't remember a formula or you for some reason couldn't figure out a value because you were having a hard time finding on the tables or something like that if you physically wrote out and go once i found this form this number I would do this step, then this step, then this step, then this step. He would give you nearly full credit because you he saw that you were just struggling with this one attribute, and but you knew what to do afterwards that. If you have a multiple step math problem or physics problem or chemistry problem and you met your your struggle point is the first step but you know what to do after you get that you'll still get a zero credit for that score for most education systems that doesn't make sense to me preaching to the can't remember that formula choir over here man in my freaking physics class i yeah exactly what you're saying like okay i can't remember this number like whatever it was but if i had that i would do this this and this but it didn't it didn't matter because i couldn't start off with the right number so then I was destined to get a zero and out of something that if I had my phone or a laptop I could look up and have in 10 seconds I mean the average Google fucking response time is what like 0.73 seconds or some shit like that like it take me no time at all and uh yeah so it, it is crazy and and don't get me wrong I definitely agree like you know the amount of effort that we as a society put into memorizing shit it doesn't make sense to simultaneously live in a society where we have access to the internet and pretty much any knowledge we can get our hands on and access to a library within a half an hour of us where we can also get our hands on pretty much any knowledge we want like there's so much knowledge all around us like why are we burdening 
torturing ourselves with remembering it when we can look it up. And there's, it is important to learn how to memorize things because there are things that you will need to learn how to memorize. But do we need to make that the basis of our education system, memorizing shit? Yeah, if you know where to find the information, it seems like more time should be focused on how to use that information. And Nick, I don't know about you, with like formulas, you'd spend hours and hours studying, trying to memorize that formulas. Those hours could then be used to do other homework that you're struggling with, or even catch up on sleep. Like, I don't think people realize how hard it is to learn when you're on, when you're sleep deprived. I mean, from Duke University, there's research that suggests nearly 80% of all students are sleeping, are suffering from some level of sleep deprivation. That's a lot of people. It, it just doesn't make sense to me that you have to memorize everything when you have the tool in your hand that is supposed to be there for you to memorize everything. Yeah. I mean, we come from a time, Mike, where how many times did you hear this phrase when growing up? You won't always have a calculator with you. So goddamn often. And and Mike, how many days of your life do you have a calculator in your pocket? 365 days out of the year. Yeah, it's almost like that wasn't true, right? And we spent all this time memorizing something. And and granted, at the time, no one thought we'd have cell phones. So don't get me wrong. But we obviously, as a society, know that we will have cell phones, right? Like, I don't think, is there anyone here who doesn't think we'll have cell phones with us in the next 50 years? Or some form of technology where we can just access something. I mean, what, there's more technology in our cell phone than in a fucking graphing calculator? Like, yeah. Are you shitting me? Like, we we can do whatever the fuck we want on this thing. And we still have to sit there and and memorize all these formulas that now it's important to know what formulas to use, but do they need to be memorized? I mean, I don't know. Like, I I like to write things down so I know which ones to use. So I, I take notes that way. And at work, I make cheat sheets for myself. And I think that's a way that people will be beneficial to people because it turns out people don't need to prepare for a world without calculators or access to information. Information. We have that. We need to learn how to live in a world with calculators and with access to information. Yet school does not reflect that at all, unless I'm missing something somewhere. No, it's they teach us how to memorize rather than how to use. They just suspect that, oh, if I give you every formula in this book, you'll just naturally know where it plugs in. Or you give us the book and you tell us how to use it. You give it you can't just tell per you can't just give a tool and just walk away and people be safe. You need to show them like, hey, with this saw, you can build a house. You can build a birdhouse. They already know what the saw is or where to find the saw in the toolbox. Show them how to use it. It's my favorite, Nick. I don't know if you remember this, but like learning how to type on a computer and tech like that when the teachers did not know how to use the computer and the students were having to show them how to use the computer. That's always hilarious to me. Oh, we did that all the time in uh, in college. And, and don't get me wrong, this is a different context. We were being taught forestry. And a lot of times people who were teaching us knew a lot of what they were talking about, but they didn't know technology. I mean, they could tell us all sorts of things about the understory and different species on the environment, especially on trees and, and how much those species take up in water. But fuck, you're going to tell them how to click the next button using a quick key on the keyboard? Get the fuck out of here with that. It's weird how I sound like a broken record and I keep saying we need to be adaptable in our education system because we don't know what the technology and stuff is ahead of us. It's weird how that keeps coming up of, huh, a system from the 1800s isn't working in the 21st century. Hmm, 
interesting so let's 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 break that down though mike right like so let's let's talk about systems used back then that that we don't use now or let's just talk about systems used back then so at that time people were driving logs down the river damming up the river then they'd blow up those dams with dynamite a huge rush of water would bring all those logs downstream to the mill it turns out that that was bad for the environment because forced dams water sudden water erosion and all the logs driving downstream just fucked up the environment at that time we used trains we used steam engines and our tractors uh we used the flintlock for my field combustion engines didn't even exist yet electrical anything didn't exist yet simply having rocket engineering did not exist yet planes did not exist yet cars did not exist yet almost everything engineering wise that is in heavy use did not exist yet yes you had some fluid dynamics you had you know structural engineering but the combustion engine you mean the thing that runs like everything electricity <laughs> i can't even imagine with the medical field of how different that is i mean nick we both have a mutual friend who goes most nurses should he is a nurse so uh, he goes it should be a trade school because you learn on the job far more than you do in the classroom. He goes, you still need some classroom work, but you should you should be learning by doing. You should help where you can. Definitely. So I think we can all agree that times have changed. If that's surprising to you, someone didn't teach you history well enough. Times are changing. Oh, it, it's like, oh, it's weird. It's weird how we'll, like, we'll come up with, we'll be studying fossils, and all of a sudden there's a new type of carbon dating that we found that changes everything. Huh. It's weird how worlds mix together and we improve together as a society. And then we completely wipe the slate clean for that and do use that new dating method that completely revolutionized our train of thought. Yeah, it's like we, who, oh man, we should do that, right? Like once we discover something new, we should kind of use it. Look, yeah, look at, look again. Did sky, did any skyscrapers even exist in the 18, late 1800s? Like, did all that structural engineering come along the 20th century? Uh, do you consider the Leaning Tower of Pisa? You mean the ones the Romans built? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I guess the fir- the home insurance building in 1885 on Adams and LaSalle was the first skyscraper. 1885. And I imagine a lot of the engineering was not flushed out yet, and they had no idea we would be building skyscrapers nearly two miles high. But Nick, before we get too far away from high school, because we kind of take a left field, I kind of want to talk about self-education and the importance of it, because that was huge for me in high school of my self-growth, of teaching myself and learning by myself. A big one for me was working with my hands, knowing that, hey, if I take the time, I can learn this new skill. I don't need a classroom for it. I don't need teachers for it. I can do my own research. I can do my own attempts. And that's a huge part of why I got into engineering. Did you have anything similar with that? Yeah, I think self-education is everything is super important right like yeah it's everything because we learn all fucking day in school there's no like you said no substitute for passion Yeah, there's no substitute for passion there's nothing that's going to promote you to work more outside of school unless it's something you want to do right okay so i started reading more because i'm a huge star wars nerd so i read all the star wars books and i read the books and i was reading and doing this and and my dad's a huge history nerd and, and he got me into some of the history books and uh we, we watched like the thomas jefferson uh, or the you know, the john adams the hbo series and we went to we went east to you know boston and we went to the where the 
Declaration of Independence. The shot heard around the world was. Oh yeah, it's in Philadelphia. Sorry. And and we saw or whatever whatever we saw all this history back east and and and, I've, and since then I've always since for a long time been a huge history nerd. Like I I love American history and, and because it meant something to me, right? Like in high school I was super excited to take world history. I'd never taken world history until high school. I'd only learned American history and and it turns out I actually didn't give a flying fuck about world history because it didn't relate to me at all. I could not use that information in high school it had no meaning to me now when i understand history understand how it relates to people i'm much more interested in world history because like we talk about all the time history repeats itself but when i was in high school this this doesn't relate to me i have no relation to this the fucking roman empire who needs that like who who is napoleon besides he sold us some shit and france helped us in revolution like that's literally all i need to know and they sell wine and cheese i don't know but uh no and, and just learning by myself in reading by myself I learned the intricacies of history the things they don't teach you in school that's when I learned about how things aren't black and white for the longest time I'd seen the founding fathers as heroes people to be regarded as as great men but reading their their uh, their letters I found out that they're flawed just as any man is and they had struggles and they had things where they lapsed on their word and whatever they were just people but that's more inspiring isn't it that they're people that they are not heroes they're just normal people in an extraordinary situation they're people you can look up to they're people you can achieve because hey they're human just like you that's huge exactly and isn't that more inspiring than a superhero someone who's not a person someone who doesn't make mistakes someone who doesn't have problems like these are real people with real issues that did something amazing in and yet our heroes are these these other people and i think that's what attracted me to star wars too right like say what you will about the star wars universe but it is the storytelling is great and there is no right and wrong and and it's very it's not shy about that fact right like even to this day me, me and my friend joe will debate the pros and cons of a star wars universe led by the empire versus the rebel alliance and because it, 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 at the end of the day it's about politics right like it's about an order of, of order versus chaos free will versus determinism like there are things that we learn about that don't have any relation to things like the lessons i learned from all my star wars books and and all my nerd shit is it's a lot of philosophy right i mean that's in entomology and in all these different fields all these different fields that the creators of this star wars universe use to make it and because i was able to take you know look at history from my own perspective read my own books and it's hard to compete with that right like it's hard to compete with a good book versus going to class for 45 minutes listening to some teacher lecture about john adams for 35 minutes and be like well you missed the whole fucking point of what he was trying to do and to be fair i'm more of a jefferson guy myself but i I, I appreciate everything adams did to build this country and it's like you're you're just gonna gloss over him like that like there's no nuance in that there's no interpretation there's no like that's not at all what adams was about and i and i think that's what's important and that's what did a lot for me for my self-education of learning like okay this person this teacher she's just kind of teaching me what she knows right like there's a yeah there's a facet below what she understands of what's actually true like there's a lot more to the story than i'm being told and it's up to me to figure it out like if i'm curious and i and i want to know more i can't ask my teacher because maybe and not that it's her fault like we said she's a generalist you know why would i expect someone to know all these random things about john adams like well did you read what he wrote to his wife on like the fucking 
13th of December when you're specifically talking about like the uh, Barbary pirates. Who the fuck knows that? I mean, it's unrealistic to expect someone to know all of that. So she's human too. It's not, I'm not trying to blame the teacher. I'm just saying like, what we need to do is promote a culture where it's common for people to find out their own shit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've all had that one class in some form of schooling where we were, the teacher was terrible and we had to teach ourselves. And again, there's no substitute for passion. You kind of find out what field you want to go into or learn about yourself when you teach yourself. You learn patience, you learn discipline, you learn a new skill, you learn what works for you versus, you know, just being a number, just another number in the machine. Self-education, I think, is very important. Now, don't get me wrong. Education from a university and school, high school, whatever, has its benefits but you can learn everything they teach you in school on your own if you're willed enough so i I, again self-education for me was huge i for almost all of high school because again i've only went to two years or four years high school everything i learned was self-taught i was the one learning it on my own teaching myself how to do it it wasn't really a teacher i if you give the people the tools and the opportunity they will surprise you and they will work hard and we didn't really mention it with the one child behind law there's always going to be some kid or some loser who is not going to put in the effort maybe they just haven't found their chance or opportunity yet haven't found their passion so we don't give up on them but we also don't want to compare them with everyone else like you're only as strong as your weakest chain so if the person's kind of being a deadbeat maybe remove them from the class and put them in a different class to help self-focus on them and help find their own passion or something because clearly that way of teaching isn't working for that one student or might be working for not a lot of students but yeah i i again i think projects are really important because you could bring that kind of to both worlds so say physics we've all had done a physics class where we had to figure out you know you launch a projectile so far where's it gonna land yes yeah, you can do that on the piece of paper but then the teachers could go all right now make a real world example of this but you can't you can't make it off the piece of paper you have to come up with your own idea of showing trajectory and people will start being more creative they start outside thinking they work with their hands or they might make a computer simulation they might get way outside the box so they teach themselves what they already just learned in school build upon it learn another skill by using that skill they just learned again just giving them a chance to do them especially in high school when you're trying to figure yourself out who you are that's so important again nick i think you hit the nail on the head with there's no substitute for passion Oh, I definitely agree. And this kind of something you talked about leads me into another thing, group projects, right? So nowadays, it's common for teachers to want to use the Socratic method where the students kind of lead the discussion, right? And they ask questions that further their development and they further understanding of whatever is going on. And they do that in a way of using group projects. And And I have a, I have a hunch, Mike, but group projects, are you uh, a fan or, or no? I'm not a fan, but I understand their importance. So I'm I'm kind of the same way. I know it, it is. Don't get us wrong. It's important to be able to work in a group setting. All right. That's especially with people you don't like. Now, here's a problem with group projects in school. People fall into a few categories. This is from my personal experience. I'm not looking at a study right now, but you have the person who does everything. You have the person who doesn't do anything. You have a scribe and you have a person who maybe wants to help, but doesn't quite get it. And depending, it's usually four person, but different, more people can have different opportunities, whatever, or different roles. Now, in I would say that's a fair assessment. <laughs> 
Yeah, right? And I think it depends on the person, who you are, and maybe you don't like who you are as we described them, but that's kind of the way it unfolds. In college, that's I'd say that's the only place where it pays to be the guy who works hard. Because at least for me, Mike, in college and in high school, I was the one who did a lot of the project. Now, there are projects who maybe I didn't help as much because I wasn't the expert. But for the most part, I pulled my own weight. And I think that's something that came from my value system of I'm not going to drag other people down. And in college, as the guy who pulls your own weight in the group project, people buy you beer. And that's really what you want at the end of the day in college. So it's not too big of an issue. Turns out that's not something that happens in high school. Instead, you just get stuck with doing most of the project. And that's kind of my problem with group projects is the idea makes sense, right? Like everyone works in a group. They explain it to each other so everyone understands it. You're, and you might have a different uh, idea than me, Mike. What do you think? Is that usually what happens in group projects? Yeah, I would say that. I would say though at higher education, like university, it's sometimes more distributed because it might be, you might get to choose your friends because they're, you know, they're colleagues or it's a subject everyone's kind of passionate about. But for the most part, it's like a one or two people doing all the work. One, pe- one or two people who show up and try to help, but they're kind of useless. And then you get one or two people who never show up until the day of and they still expect to get full credit. Yeah. Or one time in college at a group project where the kid had dropped the class and the teacher never told us. So we were like emailing him what his part of the project was because he didn't show up to class. And so we show up to give our presentation and the kid's not fucking there. And uh, so we just had to like fake the whole thing. And we, then afterwards we like told the teachers like, um, this dude, he never answered emails or anything. Like and the teacher's like, oh yeah, that kid dropped the class this is like two months ago like he just never told us it's like well fuck we would have done it if we had known like it would have been nice for this three-person assignment to know we only had two people but whatever if you told us there was a leak we would have fixed the leak <laughs> yeah I, and so I, like you said group projects are important to understand the importance of them in society you need to learn how to work in a group like that's just it happens right like you're going to work with people you don't like and people you don't agree with but there is a common objective that needs to be reached and that is in itself an important lesson to learn that yeah that's the part i agree with and the part i hate of the slackers but nick i want to bring back something you said because now now we're back in uh, high school of getting taught stuff that's actually going to be useful like we've gone away from home economics like you know cooking baking fixing walls electrical we've gone away from that which is actually useful or doing taxes and filing for insurance and stuff like that things that are going to be used immediately they're not really in our education system they're kind of there they're hinting there but they're pretty garbage i have to say so we need to implement different classes that actually matter like for example nick for in our high school we only had to take three years of math and four years of english to me anything it should be the other way around math makes the world go around but let's just say everyone has to do this in high school or in college you have to have certain classes certain curriculum well if you're not passionate about i don't know uh social studies maybe substitute that out for a class that will be actually useful like balancing your checkbook or a class that you're actually passionate about like a chemistry class or something like that now don't get me wrong there's going to be slackers who try to take the easy way out and try to take the easiest classes but that's kind of their prerogative that's kind of their choice i mean we've all had to do it where if we want it we have to put in the work and if we still that young age like we said earlier in elementary school we don't have that problem once they get older it just seems something so simple of teach stuff we actually need to learn instead of us having to figure out on our own hence self-education we had someone to help us to guide us who's gone through it 
experience is priceless that'd be so much better i definitely agree especially just just look at all the bullshit we learn right like don't get me wrong i'm not opposed to learning art what i am opposed to is the grading scale for art like you said mike it's fucking ridiculous that if we are both in an art class and we both draw something we think is good and we both <laughs> and we both get a fucking terrible grade <laughs> art is subjective or so i was told like <laughs> i'm sorry and and Especially uh, English. Me and Mike, we read all the time. I read all the time. I don't know, personally, for my personal development, another math class would benefited me more than another English class, especially because my English class was a fucking joke, okay? I took AP, or not AP, Excel English in high school from a woman who had two... Uh, what do they call it when you have to take pills? She had schizophrenia, and she taught us all about Virginia Woolf. She was probably a lesbian, just like Virginia Woolf. And because of that, she couldn't see objectively. And anything that wasn't exactly how she'd answer the question was wrong. And I ended up getting a C in one of my favorite subjects because I didn't see the same way. My parents were mad at me. I was upset. It was going to, quote unquote, ruin my college. Like, all of the bullshit because some teacher can't figure the fuck out that not everyone's taking the class because they love lesbian studies. Like, are we fucking kidding me? And second, what school district allows a woman who is schizophrenic to teach English who just doesn't take her meds and needs to be taken out by police occasionally? Like, that's... Our, we're gonna get into a whole subject on tenure eventually, but, like, are you fucking kidding me? If that was any other... Like, what if that was a firefighter or a cop? What if it was a cop? What if we had a cop who was schizophrenic? They were a lesbian schizophrenic cop, but we couldn't fire them schizophrenic, so we just let them go around with a gun and... I think what Nick's trying to say is I try to say... Nick from digging his own grave is the standards of the teachers need to be higher. Again, I think getting away from jack of all trades to passionate and also vet the teachers. Like, yeah, you might look good on paper, but you might be dog shit in the classroom. Come on, we've all had those teachers where today in class we're going to discuss on page 47. No, shut up. Give me just give me the teacher who actually cares. <laughs> Raise the standards. And again, for classes, I think we need, again, broken record here, but fluidity. We need to be adaptable. Not all the subjects can be graded the same. It's not copy and paste. Not all the students are the same. You can't just run them through the same machine. We need to have options and adaptability. Now, I'm not saying go crazy and custom education for every individual, but like Nick said, us humans, we like to break into categories. Break the students into categories the system might not be perfect but shit nearly anything's better than what we got now yeah and and like you said talking about stuff that we need right like people need to know how to do taxes they need to know how to get their their forms at the end of the year and then how to input them and, and do their taxes and, and granted tax laws constantly changing which is why we have accountants but give them one thing that i think is very valuable is balancing a checkbook but not only that but just learning kind of like basic economics not even that but just saying oh if i make my dinner every day of the week i spend this much if i go to burger king i spend this much like i think one of the biggest things hey nick how about how about one better and teach them how to cook you know how many people i know who didn't know how to cook until college dude that's a whole thing i me and blair are like how do people just not know how to cook I, I i don't get it maybe maybe you have to have a class of cooking because i did not know people did not know how to cook i thought that was a universal subject everyone needs to eat so everyone knows how to cook 
Yeah, but everyone needs to eat, so everyone should know where their food comes from, too. But that's not the fucking case, so here we are. (laughs) But no, that's definitely a great point, Mike. Like, just knowing how to cook, not only knowing how to cook, but knowing how much money that will save you a week, not even a month or a year, a week. That'll probably save you, like, anywhere from 10 to 30 bucks a month just cooking your own food. And in the long term, that adds up. That's like sure. That's like three hundred, three hundred plus just dollars a year. That's a lot of money. Which money they, if, if you taught them, they could learn how to invest and make that into more money. And that's the thing, right? Like a lot of people get stuck in all this bullshit about just getting caught in the sidelines of life, right? Like the credit card debt, they're not knowing how to cook, who can make enough money to support themselves if they were able to allocate their money wisely. But because they don't know how to cook, they don't know how to, you know, save and all that shit that they just get stuck and end up losing their money because they're not wise with their dollar because they were never taught how to be wise with their dollar. I think you said one that you just kind of pass over is credit cards. Imagine having a class that like fully understand credit cards because let's be honest we're if you're in high school your brain's not fully developed yet you might not understand stuff or some just give them the definitions of like help them understand what a legal document is like if it says certain things so when it says oh my interest rate is blank on this credit card you'll understand what it means you're like that's a terrible deal why would i take that deal seems like a lot more people would be out of debt a lot more people would be spending more spending means more jobs but that just makes too much sense nick yeah and i mean we're talking about people under the age of 18 and uh to give you some sort of idea on the mind frame of people in that age just think about the fact that fortnite won game of the year in 2018 when fortnite was released in 2017 and 2018 is when red dead redemption 2 came out one of the someone argue best graphics and best story of any video game ever made and instead we got fortnite a battle royale that has been an idea since fucking the james bond video game so they literally did not like almost nothing new this is the kind of people who we are talking about right now these are the people some people want these people to vote yeah in politics in our politics <laughs> no no yeah like mike said when you're 18 your brain's not fully developed and i think if you're over the age of 18 you can agree with that statement none of us were smart at 18 we're what mid-20s now when we're 30 we're gonna look back at how stupid we were now like that's the whole thing about growing up that's how life works this might change the conversation a little bit but i want to add on with high school and it might even touch on to elementary school a little bit but i feel like students should be required not a choice to but required to do a school activity whether it be music sports debate club science club something they because time and time again studies have shown the benefits of being a student athlete of because you learn time management skills or you learn to think differently when you're learning a music instrument or learning languages at a young age when you're required to do that your brain thinks differently if you are required to do that. I think that benefit society and the individuals so much. I think those individuals, A, will have more skill, more talent, will grow up fast. Well, not faster, but grow up and be self-proficient. And I want to get your opinion on that, Nick, because yes, I think people should do what they want, but I feel if you're under 18, it should be kind of required to be like, hey, you got to do something besides just go to school and go home and be a bum. You got to, I don't know, you got to be part of our uh, band, you got to be part of our TV news company or journalism or something. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, well, I think after-school activities is a really important part of growing up, especially what it means to be an American, right? Like, everyone needs to be part of a school or a sport or something, something bigger than themselves, whether it be, you know, the football team, the baseball team, cross-country, whether it be just, uh, like, a, a charity you're involved in or something, and doing something to help other people, being a part of something. And I think that's something that is very American. Like, you need... Americans want to help people more so than most other people, I would argue. Americans give more than any other country, and as much as we quote-unquote hate each other, we are some of the best neighbors in the world, I would say. And it's important for for kids to realize the value of, of charity, right, or of helping others, whether that be you know, when I was a kid, we did all sorts of things from when I was in religious education to doing like carols for the old folks home or with the fire department doing stuff or doing the boot campaign, uh, collecting money for, um, you know, uh, fallen firefighters and, and stuff like that. And uh, I think that's an important value to instill in people. And I think that's where the home education comes in. I think that's where the, the family education comes in, because as Americans, we value that helping other people. And it's something I've seen as an American time and time again. Um, Americans love to help people. When I was on the some of the big fires over here, the people who were collecting the donations to give to the people who lost their house or job or whatever through the fire, they had to send out notices to the population that they did not need any more uh, aid. They had enough pillows, food, everything, money. They they needed like now they just needed to focus on helping people. They didn't need any more resources. Like the population came out to help people, and I think that's something that needs to be a part of American curriculum of helping other people, but not forced. And you need to find that on your own. And needs to be, and and that's the hard part, right? Like we don't want to force. Like as soon as you force people to help other people, that's taxes. When you do it of your own free will, that's giving. You shouldn't get any goodwill from taxes. Like that's, if someone is holding a gun to your head and says, hey, help my family, that's not, you're not being helpful. But when you will go out of your way to help someone, that's being helpful and you should feel good for that, for helping your community. And I think that's something that you don't necessarily get taught in school, but you kind of learn about outside of school through job or family or whatever. I agree with the charity aspect not being forced, but I still think forcing a student to be participating in some sort of activity, club, sport is very important because I think it would help find their passion, help teamwork, help give them a way of expression. It could be something simple, but expressing yourself is kind of important. So if you're, and it also might just also give lots of opportunities of scholarships, knowledge, education, or inventions, just seeing stuff that's wrong and you're trying to work towards it or maybe you try to start your own charity club in high school of hey we're going to clean these we're going to go to these forest preserves every year and we're going to clean stuff like i can see the benefits to it to force people not force force to have it in the curriculum to and i don't know it's really i'm i'm very torn because i see so much benefits of if you're if you're a student athlete if you're part of clubs and stuff like that but I really don't like forcing people to do what they don't really want to do. But because I am a Texan, so it's kind of against our creed to force anyone they don't want to do something. No, I, I think that's 
that's very valuable, right? Like, but that's almost better. You don't want to force someone to do anything. And, and I get it. Like I did cross country and I did a lot. I, I did a lot of different things in high school, like in, in school, out of school. And one of the problems we had, I was a, a fire explorer. So I did like fire department things where, you know, I learned how to use the equipment and did training and stuff. And uh, the school really didn't rec- like they wouldn't. We had a hell of a time trying to get the school to recognize that and give us a credits for that and stuff and even allow us to advertise in like the school like I don't know, not job fair but like after school activity fair I think it was called and that was like an actual skill like you could take what you learned and apply that to your career to make money but it wasn't school sponsored so it was like taboo and uh you know I, I think they need to get get away from that of oh well like it's it's not like it's fucking like we're not teaching kids how to grow pot right like it's the fucking fire department training like you know it's not uh <laughs> it's not well uh, fuck what's the, the uncle's name from fucking um uh napoleon dynamite whatever but yeah it's not no anyway it, it's uh, like a fire department thing and and we can't advertise to students and we need uh, we're an organization we need money to to help to give to people who train us to donate time and, and resources and we want to do things and i learned a lot and i'm still a member of a volunteer fire department today probably because of that and but it, it was like pulling teeth to get the school to not help out just allow us to advertise to students that it was an option to learn the skills of trade of a fire department like this isn't something that's controversial like i don't know of anyone who is against fire do you know of anyone who is anti-fire department uh me when i burn someone's houses down okay so arsonists we are (laughs) anti-arsonists but it's like this shouldn't be like the school should be trying to work with these organizations because maybe a student will find value, not only value, but a career in what they're doing. Instead, we are the black sheep. And that's, this is kind of where it started, right? This is my first glimpse into, oh, the education system doesn't want us. I mean, it wants us to be enrolled in it, but it doesn't want us to do things it doesn't like. We are only allowed to do those certain things that the benevolent dictators of the education system deem okay. And working on the for the fire department is not on that list (laughs) like what the fuck yes it's it's that's mind-boggling i was almost speechless for a second of the education system not wanting people to know that they could become firefighters interesting well and that's what's crazy right like that's not that shouldn't be a controversial job I, I never thought it was. I didn't even know that was a question, Nick. I'll be honest with you. I didn't know that quick question could ever be formed. Is firefighting a controversial job? What? Are you are, are you dumb? <laughs> what? But I kind of want to pivot, but I want, because I, I, this seems like with the firefighting is more university. I want to stick with high school for just a little bit more with something. Yeah, I do want to clarify this was in high school. Oh, this was in high school? I did not know this. I did not know this at all. I thought you were talking about university. God, God damn it. High school. I, I didn't even know this. This was a thing. Well, Nick, I can. <laughs> they all want us as sheep and to obey. Because they don't want you to know for whatever the fuck reason. But something that was very nervousome slash scary to me was in 2018, the national high school graduation rate was only 85%. I don't know if that's because our education so needs so much reform that they're like, nope, fuck this, I'm out, I'm gonna do my own thing. Or the education system failed them. But 20, uh, sorry, 15% of students dropping out of high school 
that's so many people who could create businesses, who could have fun lives, who could help others. And I'm not saying they can't do that, but education is key. So that number, that statistic is just so scary to me. And so we definitely need to change our system just to get that number up higher. I mean, the more education, more educated people you have, the smarter your population is. Well, I would hope so, but let's be honest, we all know people who've gone through school who are still dumb as rocks. Oh, that's something we never pointed. Yeah, just look at the current system in the United States. There is no one on either side who would say, yeah, the majority of Americans know what they're talking about. <laughs> that's that's one thing we never brought up, Nick, of we have all know those people who do so well in school, but yet they're so dumb. They're the perfect gear for the cog in the machine. They're, they are really good at taking tests. They're not good at making ruggets, and they stay in the box. But in the outside world, they're still dumb as hell. And that should definitely show the problems with the education system of, hey, this person's getting A's, but they just gave away all their money because they because someone left them say, hey, you owe me $100. For what? You just owe me $100. Well, here's $100. There's people like that who exist, and we know people like that. How... I have a, a great example, and so fighting wildland fire, it's a pretty, uh, it's not like, I'm not shitting on anyone who does it, but it's not that complicated a job, right? Like fire bad, <laughs> not burning area bad, not burning good, dig line between two. Like it's really not that complicated. <laughs> uh, and, and I worked with the girl and, and Laura, if you listen to this, I'm sorry, but I was really upset at you this night, but... She could not figure out, and she was a cutter, that black, so uh, vegetation material that was burnt goes in the black side, the burning side. If it's not burnt, it goes in the green side, the unburnt side. And she just kept throwing it in the wrong side, and I was losing my fucking mind. <laughs> she kept throwing fuel into the fire when she's trying to put it out. And and she's nice. I love Laura. And But she's, uh, you know, like you said, it, it's an academic thing, like... She is way smarter than me. Like she knows all the different kinds of trees, the fucking scientific names. She's a TA for dendrology, which I had to retake, and she could do all that stuff. But when it came down to the the application, that's when kind of the there there was a problem. And uh, and you you do need both those people, right? Like you need people who can do the the actual physical rubber hits the road shit. But you also need the people who can who know all the shit. Like that's. But unfortunately, in our education system, it only values one of them. Like it does, and that's the that's the problem. If you're if you're good on paper, that's great. But if you can't physically do it, like what you what I'm from in the real world, you're kind of useless. The amount of time, the amount of time, the amount of times of engineers I know who will get like straight A's. But I I kid you not, I was walking out of my engineering building for my university. Kid had a flat tire. He was calling his mom on how to change a flat tire. He was a civil engineer. And he wasn't like... Surprising that you could understand what language he was speaking. (laughs) Mechanical is better than civil, just saying. But if... I'll be sure to tell my wife. Oh, God. Uh, But... And he wasn't like a freshman or anything like that. He... I, I, he was a probably junior who didn't know how to change a tire. That's bad enough by, by yourself. If you don't know how to change a tire, learn. Self-education or... This is an excellent topic that kind of ties back into 
shit we should learn in high school, right? We talked about a lot of different subjects of you know, how to do taxes and credit cards and stuff, but I had an argument for the couple of weeks I was in philosophy with my philosophy professor about what common knowledge everyone should know. And I was like, well, everyone should know how to change a tire. Everyone should know certain things about their car so that if they break, they're not stuck waiting for someone. Like, well, what if you plan to always live in, like, the city where if you get a flat tire, you can always call someone? Like, so your life is so fucking predictable, you can always be within cell phone servers with someone who can do all your shit for you? That seems more sad than fucking anything, but whatever. Yeah, I really think if you, I think in order to get a driver's license, you should know how to change your windshield wipers, change a tire, fill up your tire with air, and, I don't know, change your oil. Just basic one-on-one stuff it most people in the united states drive cars it makes sense that they should know how the car works right right the you know the three thousand pound moving 80 miles per hour machine maybe they should know how it works and you know just just maybe and like we talked about with uh you know kind of the spending money and the food and stuff just from a pure money saving standpoint how much money could the average american save if they knew how to cook every meal they knew how to change their oil they knew how to change all their fluids they could they didn't have to get caught in credit card debt like just how i i have no idea so i'm just i'm not really saying i'm just asking but that's that's got to be a lot of fucking money right well considering two weeks ago i saved myself four hundred dollars because I bought the part for 50 bucks and did an hour and a half worth of work. I'm assuming a lot of money. And that's exactly it, right? Like that's, that's what I think the real value, like, don't get me wrong. Education is important. And ask fucking anybody, like no one will ever tell you education, not important, but the value that you can actively see in education for me that's all the shit I learned in my uh, fucking car 101 or the fuck class. Changing oil, changing brakes, all like all that shit. Which now could be replaced by a fucking YouTube video. Like, don't get me wrong. I learned a lot in the class, but you can learn it all on YouTube. It's for your specific vehicle. But how much money that has saved me, I, I don't even know. Just... I mean, that's it's crazy, right? Like, especially the price. I mean, mechanics are hard to come by and labor cost is like 99 bucks an hour. So an hour worth of work, you're already at 100 bucks plus parts. <laughs> a lot of the times it's not even that complicated. You can do it yourself with the fucking YouTube video. There's a quote who I can't remember who it's by, but it's a very important quote to me. It's education is power, but knowledge is more important. There's a difference between education and knowledge. And I think we are finally starting to see that in society of, oh, just because it's education doesn't mean it's actually useful or smart. It Knowledge and education, two different animals. And I'm very hopeful. It's not going to happen, but I'm very hopeful the education system changes and changes soon. I think we're in the middle of an education shift. I think people are looking at the education system and going, well, that's fucking not working. I think you're seeing a rise, and this might just be from where I'm at. I'm from, I'm living in currently rural America, but I'm seeing an increase in trade schools, vocational schools, apprenticeships, a decline in college because college is teaching a lot of things that don't get you money. And it turns out at the end of the day, people want to be educated so they can make more money. If your college education doesn't afford you more money, why did you pay all that money to go to college? Like I, This shouldn't be fucking rocket science, which is why a lot of these vocational schools and technical schools are picking up the slack. You can go to a two-year school for 900 bucks and end up 
earning more than if you went for a four-year school for a hundred grand. Like it doesn't make any sense uh, economically. If you're looking at pure economic standpoint, if you want to make a lot of money and work your own hours, you go into welding. Like that's that's what you do. Like or like uh. Or if you want to get, make a, a lot of money, you become an underwater diving welder or a pipeline welder yeah underwater welders make a ton of money very specific but yeah there's a and i love i think that's the funniest part right like like we talked about i love the ironies in american society i love how we value hard work right but we look down on people who work hard and make a shit ton of money like the the underwater welders of the world who oh well they didn't go to a four-year school does it fucking matter they make like a hundred fucking 30 grand a year working six months out of the year my my favorite is the people who are saying he didn't go to a four-year university and it's usually done by someone with some made-up degree working behind a coffee counter yeah it's it is insane and there will be we're in the middle of a switch but very soon the education these four-year universities took for granted all these kids who came to them for granted they they thought it would never end. It's drying up, and it's drying up fast. They're going to make it cheaper so more people can come, but people can't pay it off, and it's fucking ruining their system, and they fucking deserve it. I don't give a flying fuck about those people, right? Like, they're, they need people so they can get money because they're so bloated. We currently are at forestry, as a forestry industry, we are lacking foresters. They cannot produce enough foresters in school to meet the demand that the industry wants. Yet, there's an all-time low uh, fucking employment rate for college graduates. Now, if only there someone could piece together why there's all these industries. It's not just my industry. I know there's a lot of industries who are experiencing the same thing. More people are graduating college now than ever before. So why are we behind of number of people we need to work for us yet ahead in college graduates? Now, I'm, I'm not a fucking scientist, Mike, but it's almost like the people graduating now have degrees in fucking nothing that won't help them get a job in fucking anything. I have to say, perhaps there is a silver lining with COVID and it'll allow us the opportunity to change our education system. And as we transition into college, Nick, which is a whole nother, as you like to say, can of worms, I really think we need to start at the foundation young and change those implementations. Now, I think that's going to be the, I think kindergarten or pre-k through 12th grade high school is gonna be the hardest to change because it's already a system that they just keep turning the wheel i think college has the opportunity to change the most because college like you said is an option Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram.